Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our year-end retrospectacular for the year of our Lord 2023. I am your host, Michael Dixon. If you're new to the podcast, we do this once a year-ish and, uh, you know, talk about our favorite things uh, from the year on the podcast, outside the podcast, in the world of movies and television shows that we've watched. So this is always one of my favorite episodes to do. I'm excited to get into it with me. As always, John Garcia. What's up, John? How's your How's your 2023 been? Uh, well, you know, it ended on a high note, so it's good. Yeah. I watched the holdovers last. You know, I thought for a second okay. there it was going to be something bad, but <laughs> hey. And then I started it off with Schlock. We watched a terrible movie, the beginning of it. So that that doesn't surprise me at all. I'm just honestly, I'm surprised that you didn't book in your year with Schlock on both sides. <laughs> uh, yeah, I looked at I looked at my year end stats and I saw that I started the year with Schlock, and I figured I probably shouldn't end it with it, but it would also be poetic, I suppose, um, if I did. So yeah, real tough choice to make. But here I am. <laughs> you didn't turn around on the first and just immediately go. Right back <laughs> yeah, I did Schlock. not just turn. Okay. I just run right back to Schlock. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the voice of Ryan King. Ryan, how you doing? How was your 2023? I'm doing good. Yeah, it was a pretty good 2023. Uh, kind of went out on a little bit of a vacation, banged my fucking head snowboarding. I look like oh. a quarterback that got sacked. I went down that hard and hit my head. But uh, oh, I got, go I got back up. I got protocol? back up. Yeah, I think so. Because the next <laughs> day I was like, I'm done for <laughs> the next couple days. Yeah, what I'm this... hearing is he learned nothing from MXP. No, uh, not at all. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, you know the monkey doesn't wear a helmet. I thought I was okay, but apparently no. I did oh. wear a helmet, which was the good decision I made. Um, I did look. <laughs> Does back... Air Bud ever go into the concussion protocol? Did that happen? <laughs> he gets carted off in the football. And I don't think he gets injured. I don't think he gets injured in any Does other he game. Give, he like gets a little doggy thumbs up. Yeah, right. <laughs> like wags his tail and everybody yeah. cheers. He's okay, uh, everybody. <laughs> I will do my best to stay on topic with movies because that's typically what we do. Um, obviously, we do sometimes talk some TV shows. But I noticed looking back, I think I talked in the recommend and refute significantly more television shows than movies. Yeah. Like I You're look back and I was record. like, that's almost all I talked about. Although you did see way more movies in theaters this year than you have the past few years. Yes, you. I was going to mention that. I watched in 10 months out of 12, I saw a movie in the theater. And I did okay. actually watch more than 12 movies in the theater. There's just some m- m- months where I got yeah. a couple in. But... Barbenheimer movies. Yeah. Yeah. They would appreciate your patronage. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, well, I had, I had a good 2023 as well. It was a good year personally for me. Um, it was, you know, it's a bad year for the world. Every year gets worse and worse. You know, we have uh, raging wars and uh, famine and genocide and uh, all kinds of things going on. But, uh, you know, we're, we're here to talk about movies and uh, some of them will bleed into current events and others of them will be fun escapist things to talk about. Mm-hmm. So um, the first category that we are going to talk about is our favorite podcast movie from 2023. So uh, I'm going to kick to Ryan. Ryan, what, in your opinion, was the best movie that we reviewed on the podcast in a long form discussion episode? So not a recommend or refute, but in the, you know, the full long form episodes, what was the best movie that we talked about? I, I think it's pretty standout that Killers of the Flower Moon is the best that we talked about, in my opinion, just a like fully crafted, excellent movie. When you get down into like acting, cinematography, direction, you know, the set pieces, everything was just excellent. And then it's just a, I feel like a story that kept me on the edge of the seat the entire time. 
um, to where it didn't feel as long as Oppenheimer, which I felt like it was a good movie, but like yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon is like the same length and I didn't feel it uh, the same way I did with Oppenheimer. There never was a point where I was like, okay, we're good, let's go, or let's stop. Um, and yeah, I just think the the story, the importance of of going back and telling these stories um, really hit me. You know, I was really high expectations going in and I, I don't, it certainly wasn't disappointed, but maybe even beat some of my expectations. Um, it's, you know, I, I have a hard time picking like what is the best thing I watched all year because this is in the running um, for sure that it just was that good. And it may be mm -hmm. one of the best I've seen in theaters in a long time. And, you know, seeing it in IMAX as well, you know, I think also kind of brought it in for me, but um, that, that has to be my best for the year of what we talked about. Yeah, great pick. I mean, that, that was one of my favorite episodes that we did this year. Um, you know, we had my my friend Eric on as, as a guest. And I thought we had a great conversation about the film and the societal implications of it and, you know, how it fits into Scorsese's legacy and all these things that were super interesting to talk about. And um, yeah, it was a hell of a movie. So that's a that's a solid pick. Yeah. Um, for me, <clears throat> it was uh, Bo is Afraid, the other three plus hour movie. That nice was in theaters. Um, I felt like that episode, we, we were still freshly traumatized from whatever that movie yeah. was. And <laughs> there's a lot of bumbling around uh, with our, our, our guest, uh, Gino at the time. But I think that it, it just, that movie, uh, just creates this atmosphere for discussion. Like there's a lot about it. That's really fucking weird and fun to try to pick apart. Um, and the more that I thought about it after I was like, yeah, that episode felt good just because it is like what a lot of cinema should be. It's, it's, uh, provocative and it has these, um, so many different things that you could try to speculate and talk about. And it's not just everybody saw the exact same movie. It was good. And we left kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, yeah. Killers is like a close second for me because that, that had a lot of the, I think that that started a lot of other discussions after we've talked about other documentaries since about indigenous people fighting back against oppression. And, uh, I think that it's really like changed, uh, some of what I think about and what I'm looking for when I go to a watch list and try to find movies now. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, so I did a quick little top five list. Uh, Bo's afraid barely missed my list. I have number five. I have a man escaped mm -hmm. four killers of the flower moon, three Mandy, Two Hour of the Wolf and one Mulholland Drive was my oh, best podcast movie okay. of the year. Um, I thought Mulholland Drive was a, a super fun episode. You know, it's always really fun to dive into a weird David Lynch movie and to pick it apart and try to figure out what the fuck is going on and what you're looking at. And, you know, there are always fun scenes to to dive into and some are terrifying and some are hilarious. And Mulholland Drive has all of that mixed in and it just is just a wild ride and um it's one of my favorite movies and i i really enjoyed watching it discussing it with you guys um john it was your first watch of mahal drive right so it was, it was yeah. fun hearing your reaction and um yeah it was, it was a good episode it's a lot of like that broke this year is the year that like the dam broke for me with a lot of david lynch stuff so i say mahal drive was kind of like the spear tip for it and you know since then i've watched like twin peaks which is mm. technically like a fast follow uh, for or like a follow up on some uh, recommendation that you'd been giving me, Dixon, and uh, it's not something you brought to recommend or refute necessarily, if I remember correctly. I don't think I so, it. but I had been telling you about it. Yeah, for and you've been time, telling yeah. me about it, and so yeah, it's just one of those things where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna watch a lot more David Lynch now. 
Nice. Yeah, that was my first time seeing Mulholland Drive as well. But, you know, not my first experience with Lynch, but it had been a while since I had watched something. And kind of immediately I'm like, okay, I need to go back and watch the ones I haven't watched. Like it kind yeah. of just brought that back up. Um, and yeah, it's it's easily one of my favorites of David Lynch, I think, because it's not just all the weird and interesting things that happen in it, but the fact that it kind of has more of a narrative, I feel like, than especially his later stuff. Um, yeah, that, that you can kind of get caught up in the mystery of it at the beginning to kind of lull you into all this weirdness, um, and bring you along. Yeah. It has that same kind of hook that Twin Peaks does where it's got like a good mystery to it, but then Lynch doesn't really care about the mystery. He just wants to continue to propagate the atmosphere of Lynch as he does. (laughs) I think he does care about the mystery, but he doesn't care about solving it. That is correct. Right. Like he, that's what I mean. Yeah. He doesn't want to provide you easy, easy answers, but the, the mystery is kind of, it's very important to what he does to kind of pull you into what's going on. But you have to figure out your own solution to the the puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. I think those are some good picks there. Um, Ryan, what was, in your opinion, the worst movie that we discussed on the podcast this year? I'm interested to hear what you guys say, but I think we came out of the gate swinging with Cocaine Bear. <laughs> ah. <laughs> it's definitely um, tied for mine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think even looking back, everything I saw in theaters... Almost everything I watched this year is one of those where I'm like, if it was on, I would walk away. You know, there are other things where like it wasn't that great, but it's whatever it's on. Um, mm-hmm. That's one where I kind of actively would be like, guys, we're not, we're not watching Cocaine Bear. It's not worth it. Um, just kind of generally a disappointment. I think we knew going in it was going to be something. <laughs> yeah, um, I just thought it would be more. But yeah, I just problem. really thought there. Yeah, there would be something I could take away from it one way or another. And it just it just was just disappointing. I was hoping because Elizabeth Banks was directing it. Like I like her as an actor and I was like, OK, if she's directing something, maybe she'll put some sort of fun, interesting spin on it. And she just didn't. It just wasn't very yeah, good. It wasn't yeah. there. There's just 15 minutes of fun in the middle of it when the bear goes crazy for a while. And then mm-hmm. that, it just all sucks. And then it ends with in loving memory of Ray Liotta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funniest punchline. Yeah. In, in a performance that does not, didn't suit him and doesn't no. pay him any respect. Yeah. This is a year with two posthumous uh, Ray Liotta films. Cooking Bear and... Uh, Charlie Day's one. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. I never uh, saw that. Yeah. Whatever Charlie Day's movie was. Yeah. I heard in both Ray Liotta was underutilized. So You're saying mm-hmm. that Charlie Day was like silent through the whole thing or whatever? He's like Charlie yeah, Chaplin, yeah. Charlie Day. He movie, does like a Charlie Chaplin-esque yeah. thing throughout it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, well, John, yeah. what do you got for us as your worst podcast movie of the year? Uh, well, this one goes out to my brother. Uh, it's eleven fourteen. Was uh, uh-huh. probably the worst movie this year that I've seen, but also blessing in disguise. I was able to bring eleven fourteen up to a director and writer at the Austin Film Festival. You did. I was there. I asked them a question <laughs> about it. I related it to that, and they were like, "Okay." <laughs> and, uh, and he had seen the movie. Yeah, he'd seen it, and he said, "Oh yeah, I remember that." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Um, yeah, that movie was all over the place. Uh, I loves me a movie with Ben Foster because I loves me a movie with anybody from the Punisher 2004, (laughs) but that movie, uh, not as much. Uh, it, it it was really just, uh, an injustice. Uh, You prefer the movies where Ben Foster doesn't lose his genitals. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) But it was fun to cut those clips into the episode. I will say. (laughs) Um, but yeah, the rest of that, I just remember being like, why did we watch this movie? This was just fucking awful. I did think that was a fun conversation. Uh, um, but it, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a very good movie. No. <laughs> uh, you got a list for us, Dixon? I do. I have a bottom five. Um, number five is The Warriors. Number four, Cocaine Bear. Number three, Eleven Fourteen. Number two, The Astrologer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and really, I mean, The Astrologer should be number one, but like, it's there are some redeeming qualities about it because you're just like, oh my god, this is so weird. But yeah. the movie to me that was the most of uh, slog to get through was The Jerk. Um, uh, yeah. hated that movie. Uh, I just felt like, like, I felt like we didn't even really have too much to say about it. Cause there just wasn't a lot there. Like it was just Steve Martin acting real stupid for 90 minutes and I didn't get it. And, um, it felt very pander- pandering to, uh, you know, black people and poor people and, uh, had, had lots of problems that, you know, uh, were maybe more acceptable in 1979, but, uh, didn't, didn't dig the jerk. Yeah. Yeah, looking for comedy in the American world. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a short list for me. And also, like, I asked uh, Darla what she she thought of this year. Like, what was the worst thing that we watched? Uh, and the one and that she came said, to mind, Varela. Yeah, yeah, she's like, she still thinks she just watched it last week. And hates it. Um, she she actually said planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, oh, that movie's great. Which, yeah, I enjoyed it, and the kids kind of enjoyed it, but I could see some of the issues with it uh, in watching it. But I was like, I think you just, I just think you're not into Steve Martin, just yeah. based on yeah. on stuff. And and yeah, he is, it, it's interesting, those movies that he carries versus things that he's a part of, what yeah. the difference is. Yeah, the jerk felt like just a vehicle for Steve Martin to just do his shtick and different sketches that didn't really fit together very well and it wasn't an interesting story plane trains and automobiles is a well-written movie and it's like you know it's john hughes it's well executed john candy's great and yeah Yeah. i think for her it's the there's john hughes movies kind of have a certain i don't don't know how to put it down i was actually thinking we need to do like a john hughes thing because i do think people recognize his movies a lot but don't necessarily think of him as one of those like great creators Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like all of his movies have one sort of just off weirdness. Like they kind of take something that's like this is a a normal experience that people have and then puts you like just a little to the edge of it. Um, I'm not quite sure how to say it, but like planes, trains and automobiles is like just kind of pushes past the uncomfortableness, like just kind of keeps going yeah. with it. Those aren't pillows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, up of the bears, huh? Yeah, good season, good season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say the astrologer. Um, I'm I'm thankful for that episode because we got the question from my friend that was, "Is there anything of redeeming artistic value in it?" And a long pause, and Dixon goes, "No." Which <laughs> 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 is just a good clip. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a terrible movie, um, but it was not as hard to watch as the jerk. <laughs> uh okay cool our next category is the best discovered movie that we watched this year so um not a new 2023 release but an older movie that we uh discovered for the first time this year ryan what do you got for us 
Uh, I'm going to say Texas Chainsaw 2, Texas Chainsaw oh. Massacre 2. <laughs> okay. Did not expect uh, that. Yeah. I, I, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was great. Like, and that's one that I've intended to watch for a long time. This year was the first watching of it. I enjoyed it. There are, you are saying you some... liked the sequel better? Yeah, John. <laughs> we got, we kind of had him, this. Everybody. We had the same conversation when we we talked about yeah. Texas Chainsaw, and then John and I talked about the the sequel. It's it's tough because they are so different. There are some really weak points to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, namely sitting there for a long mm. time, yelling your friends' names out, mm-hmm. uh, and repeatedly asking if he's going to come get us or not. Um, hey, 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 do you think they're going to find us? Do you think they, you think they marked our car so they're going to come get us and kill us in the night? Uh, I've never remembered a character's name like Franklin's before. Yes. <laughs> I can't get that accent out yeah. of my yeah, head. No, like no. just this like high pitched Texas twang. That's just, oh man. But like for the, what it is as an amateur, you know, early slasher film, it is really amazing. But Texas Chainsaw 2 to me hit that cult feel where yeah. i kind of want to like go back and watch it like it's like that you know bag of chips you open and you look in later and you're like oh shit i ate way too many of those yeah. um i definitely <laughs> w- will come back to it oh my god i watched texas chainsaw Massacre yes, Massacre two, six times this week <laughs> yes yes that's better than watching the rest of the texas chainsaw massacre franchise yeah, no. after yeah. watching oh man uh john what do you got for us Um, initially I kind of scrambled to try to figure out what was my best discovered movie, but I think I locked in on it. Um, I talked about it in a recommender refute, but, uh, 2010, the year we make contact, the follow up, like the more I thought about that, I really fucking like it as a pairing with 2001, a space odyssey. They're nothing alike. They take place in the same universe and they try to continue the same story. It tries to continue the same story, but like under completely different directorial vision. And I fucking loved it. Um, It's one that I want to go back to, but much like 2001, I need to give like a little bit of time for myself to just like recharge and then I can reset and watch it again. Uh, But I I remember really loving so much of the performances in it and the, the complete flip from total silence for most of 2001 with like no dialogue to a dialogue heavy, hard sci-fi fucking weird journey into what the monoliths are and what they become later. Um, I just found it really cool and compelling. So yeah, that was my best discovered this year. That's awesome. I really need to watch that. Like 2001 is one of my all time favorite movies. Like, I think it's like, honestly, like the peak of human cinema is, is 2001 a space odyssey. Like, I don't know that we've ever done anything more impressive than that. And I, I would, I need to watch the sequel and it's been on my list forever and I just haven't gotten around to it. So that's a that's a New Year's resolution for me to watch 2010, the year we made contact. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're only 14 years late. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, all right. So my best discovered movie of 2023 is a film by Yasujiro Ozu called An Autumn Afternoon. Um, so this year I have been reading, I still actually still haven't finished. I've only read the first two sections, but I've been reading Paul Schrader's book, uh, Transcendental Style in Film, where he talks about Ozu, Brisson, and Dreyer. I still haven't read the Dreyer section yet, although I love his movies. And so I, I need to, I need to finish that. But, um, he talks about how those three directors kind of are able to achieve, uh, transcendence and a, an idea of, something beyond ourselves and, um, you know, something almost religious in what they're doing in their filmmaking. Um, and 
I, I read his stuff on Ozu and I had seen Good Morning and Tokyo Story before I read it. And then he talked about Autumn Afternoon a lot in that book. And so I decided to read it after I read that section in Schrader's book. And I, I absolutely loved it. It's it's a fascinating movie. Um, Ozu kind of like Schrader talks about in his book how Ozu kind of just tries to make the same movie over and over and just get a little bit better each time. And there is this idea of, um, you know, kind of repetition and and um, ritual. Like mm -hmm. uh, there's this idea of ritual and, you know, kind of doing the same thing over and over to achieve transcendence and an idea outside of yourself that is is really fascinating with Ozu. A lot of his films are about uh, simple everyday family problems where, you know, it's uh, family members having issues with each other and, you know, struggles within themselves, um, money problems, uh, issues around death and marriage and things like that. It's very much kind of a common people type of movie um, that he tends to make. And Autumn Afternoon was, I believe, his final film. And it really does, of the three movies that I've seen of his, it feels like his best achievement in what he was going for. Um, it, it focuses around a father who's a widower and has a daughter in her 20s. And she kind of takes care of him and is basically his wife stand in and does all the household work for him and kind of makes it so he can go out and drink with his buddies and, and doesn't have to worry about taking care of stuff at home. Um, she expresses an interest in a mutual friend and then he has to realize, oh shit, I never even realized that my daughter might want to get married and leave the house and go do other things and has to kind of grapple with this as he's talking with his friends one of whom has married a young woman about his daughter's age. And, you know, they there's a bunch of jokes about dick pills and stuff. Which I thought was funny for like a 1960 <laughs> Japanese film. Um, there's some really funny moments in it and uh, a lot of very tender moments and, and just a lot of everyday conversations that happen over the course of the movie. Um, Schrader talks about how Ozu kind of uses the everyday uh, to set you up for these transcendent moments that kind of come out of the blue that you don't expect. So you kind of fall into the lull of the everyday life and going through the motions of going to work, eating meals, seeing family, seeing friends, drinking, going to sleep. And then all of a sudden, these emotional moments kind of hit you out of the blue and they're so incredibly powerful, the way that he is, is building toward it. And you don't even really realize until the moment has passed. Like, oh my God, that was like so incredibly powerful and I never saw that coming. Um, I, I, it's hard to describe like you almost have to experience an Ozu movie to really appreciate it for what it is. I, Tokyo Story is the one that is constantly uh, you know, talked about by critics as, as his masterpiece and one of the best films of all time. Tokyo Story is very good. I thought An Autumn Afternoon was better. Um, it uses a lot of the same actors that are in Tokyo Story. Ozu tended to use a lot of the same people in his movies and tell slightly different stories. Um, but the three movies that I have seen were all very effective and uh, really enjoyed An Autumn Afternoon. And definitely recommend people check it out. I know like, you know, I feel like a lot of Americans now are, are into Japanese culture and Ozu is somebody who has, you know, kind of not been adopted the way that like uh, Kurosawa has on like a little bit more of a mainstream context and i think he is definitely worth checking out and um you know uh watching some of his stuff so nice yeah you gave me an ozu film didn't you that was the one yeah that's the one yeah mm -hmm. okay still, and you gave me schrader's book which i, I did read yeah. as well so <laughs> hey i have homework uh for 2024 that's my resolution is there you go yeah. it's not really homework when it's cinema it's it's fun yeah yeah <laughs>
Ryan, have you seen the Ozu movies? No, I haven't. And and yeah, when you talked about it, um, it, it does interest me to see someone who kind of comes back to the well, so to speak, and is able to take something that they had a vision early. There's certainly I've I've seen it with some where they kind of make the movie once really early. And then they mm-hmm. go on and learn a whole bunch of stuff and then they come back and they're like, okay, wait, this is what I really wanted that first thing to be. But now I have all the talent to pull it off. Um, but that idea of kind of like continuing to hone around a few specific things. Um, and yeah, the, the, I've, I've come to appreciate more and more of the movies that have that subtleness and, and more slow life, I guess, in them. Um, that, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely interested in seeing them. All right, the next category we have is the worst discovered movie this year. Again, not a new release from 2023, but an older movie that we found this year that we did not like. Uh, let's kick it back around the other direction. John, what was your worst discovered movie of the well, year? Well, if everybody was listening to me lose my sanity during Schlocktober um, and one of my recommender refutes, you would know I found my worst discovered movie, and that's the Italian Star Wars knockoff Star Odyssey oh. from, I think, 79? <laughs> 2001, uh, A Star Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that, that movie just, it sticks in my brain in one of those ways that, you know, when like you put your hand on a hot stove and your brain's like, never do that again. Um, not don't do Schlocktober again, but just never watch that movie again. Like if anybody, I'm at a party and people are like, wow, this star odyssey, what's this? It looks cool. I'll be like, absolutely not. I'm fucking leaving this party. If we put this movie on, I'm not going to be here for this, uh, star odyssey for folks who don't remember, was just a fucking fever dream of telekinetic powers and people talking about how they were going to pull a heist on some like bowl cut clone army and try to take back a ship that they had been stolen from. And it just, it's exactly what I just said it was. And when you watch it, you're like, what is the point of any of it? Like, what does it even, what does it even fucking matter? So when you like get out of it, you're like, any movie could be better. That's the only thing. I always look for the movie that you could use as a crutch or leverage to make a movie better. This is one of those. It's like this and Helga Shewolf of Spielberg, my films, <laughs> to make anything excel and completely pass any test after. I'd be like, thank God it's not that movie. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, worst discovered movie. That sounds terrible, John. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think what's entertaining about that is that listening to you talk about it is probably better than the movie. But to, oh, to as, yeah. as far as it made me think about uh, you talking about America, was it America the movie? Oh, yeah. That that it, America the motion picture. America, America the motion picture. picture yeah. Uh, the, the same thing with that as Star Odyssey. You, you describe both of them and make them sound so good, but have to keep talking everyone out of it. Like <laughs> that's the danger, right? It's this dual edge of <laughs> I need to tell you how bad it is, but I need to entertain you so you don't yeah. feel as yeah. awful. I watched it. America the Motion Picture, even though you told and me I kept several times you not to, to. <laughs> and it sucked real hard. You learned your lesson. And uh yeah, so I did not watch Star Odyssey. Not but John made it sound helarious. <laughs> it sound <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's the worst part. I guess I could be like one of their marketers if I really yeah. wanted to. <laughs> But yeah, that is the most entertaining part of it is how do you convert your trauma into something other people can enjoy? Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> At least you can yeah, make something good out of it. Yeah. Uh, crush that coal into a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan, what was your worst discovered movie of 2023? Uh, d- definitely going overboard. Adam Sandler's first movie. <laughs> oh, I don't know yeah. Why, I, <laughs> I don't know why I put myself through that. I don't know why it it 
fascinated me as soon as I found out it existed. And then I'm even more fascinated after watching it as how Adam Sandler continued to do anything in Hollywood um, afterwards. And, and just as the it's an absolute distillation of everything bad about Adam Sandler and his career and how he makes movies and his comedy, everything, <laughs> all that just bad stuff and nothing uh, redeemable. Um, yeah, it was just awful. It was just so awful. Um, and I, I see that he has, um, a new movie coming up in 2024 spaceman that I saw a little bit of a preview for. And I was like, Oh, this is one of those. He's going to get back and do something that's actually decent. And I, I guess Leo, I didn't watch the animated movie, Mm -hmm. uh, has gotten decent reviews. So I was like, okay, he's on the little bit of I spent all my goodwill time to get a little bit back up uh-huh. so that then <laughs> yeah, I can go out. It's been five and, years since Uncut Gems. He's got to do something yeah, to redeem himself. He's yeah. got to re-earn it. Then he'll get another 10 movies where he just goes to islands or cruises or whatever and just makes stupid shit. Murder um, Mystery 6 or whatever. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm honestly kind of surprised uh, this coming from a man who just watched all of the Airbud or most it, of the Airbud <laughs> movies. Uh, <laughs> none of those came in. Yeah, um, that's that's saying a lot. Really. It does say yeah. a lot. It it is the the difference between the sort of like, oh my god, this is terrible. Why am I watching this? Of Airbud Volleyball, the cringe. I I want to turn this like anyone else would turn it off. Yeah, <laughs> if they were watching you. Going Overboard, yeah, <laughs> you can kind of like leave Airbud on and just be like, this is stupid. Uh, but yeah, going overboard was so painful. It sh- I should have just like stopped and been like, let me do I any other thing in my life. Describe going overboard as if it was the Necronomicon recordings. Yes. Like if you leave it on for long enough, bad things will happen to you. You just <laughs> yeah. have to stop this fucking movie. <laughs> uh, Dixon, what do you got? All right. Yeah. My worst discovered movie of 2023 is a movie starring the great Nicolas Cage that uh john you watched as well uh called next uh yes um <laughs> earlier a couple months with an ago, imagined third act yeah a couple months ago we did uh beyond the infinite two minutes that our our listener gino hino requested and that was a a very fun movie and we had a great conversation about it on the podcast it's about being able to see two minutes into the future and when he requested that john was like dixon we got to watch next um and i was like yeah it's a cage movie i haven't seen all right let's go for it um 2007 this was like the tail end of nick cage the action star and it feels this feels like the movie that kind of killed his career for a while and it took a long time for him to recover from this and some of his his death as a an actor was due to his uh you know personal losses in the 08 financial crash but it feels like next was a a big contributing factor in kind of moving him to direct to streaming for so long um it, it's about a guy who can see two minutes into the future of, of his own personal future and uses that to make decisions and to hit on Jessica Biel, uh, who is way younger than him uh, and a terrible actor. Uh, and he is just really trying hard to uh, find. He sees her. He knows she's going to be at this diner. And so he keeps showing up and he knows it's like the sun is low in the sky, so he doesn't know if it's like dawn or dusk. So he just keeps showing up twice a day to this goddamn diner, just waiting for Jessica Biel to show up and then like re rehearses all of these pickup lines and sees how they will go and then like reverses back to the present. And then he tries, you know, a more aggressive pickup line and a more casual pickup line and, you know, just keeps getting rejected. 
Um, this turns into an action movie somehow. Um, <laughs> like Julianne Moore <laughs> is in this. Like shock, Julianne Moore, just such a such a great actor for some reason is in this movie, and she's like the head of some government agency that finds out that Nicolas Cage can see two minutes into the future and wants to harness this for evil and, you know, is trying to capture him and, and get a, him to tell them what's going to happen so they could profit off of it or whatever. And it's so, it's so fucking stupid. Nicolas Cage's hair. I don't know what the fuck is happening with that in this movie. It's like <laughs> yeah. his hairline is receding so far and he has like really long hair that's combed back. And like, there's a lot of memes about that hairdo that uh, are just kind of terrifying. But um, the yeah, the entire third act of the movie is just like a, a premonition and then it flashes back to the present and then the movie's over. You're like, wait, what the what the fuck was that? Just the stupidest movie, um, like really bad. Just really Jessica Biel is one of the worst actors that I've ever seen, I think, like particularly in this movie. I haven't seen her in a lot of stuff. No, she's still bad. And but other stuff too. Yeah, I'm sure she can't be good given her performance in this movie. Uh, there is an incredible scene where Nick Cage talks about fish raining from the sky in the car with Jessica Biel. That is just so hard to watch. Um, it's so hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, I if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I love Nicolas Cage. Next is is terrible and it's not fun terrible uh just don't watch it yeah your roger debert line is uh next is what i will be saying after i watch it yeah uh. <laughs> yeah there you go cool okay all right moving on to a good category uh the best movie that we each watched of a new release in 2023 ryan what was the best new movie that you watched this year i you know there definitely is like a top three for me that kind of stuck around and i i kind of go back and forth um, I do look at, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit later, movies that I like want to watch again for me are, are really mm. important to saying like, this was a good movie to me. Uh, and there are, are like in my, there are in my top three, there are two that I already have watched twice. And that's, I think because Killers of the Flower Moon isn't out yet. Um, but I don't know that I'm in a, you as, can pay as like 20 bucks to watch it online right now. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not quite there. I don't know if I'm in as much of a rush to go watch that again, even though it was was excellent. Um, but I, I ended up having to just say the spider verse colon. And I always forget what which one spider this dash one is. man colon across, across the spider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> across the spider verse ended up like just edging out for me. Barbie. <laughs> Okay. Um, really? Okay. Those are kind of my top two, and and Spider Verse. It just kind of I think because for me it's the animation and the quality of that animation, um, and I think the fact that kind of at the end of that movie I'm just like I need more. I like just wanted it to keep going, like a, a to go ahead and just go into the next two hours of the next movie. Um, but just the. The, the quality of it, the following up on what was already an excellent movie and being able to hold to that same level, that same standard, the voice acting, the design, which again, in the first movie, the, all the different universes, having that sort of slightly different design. Again, they do it here. People move different. The universe is different. That's like so much creative effort to design a whole animated universe, multiple universes. <laughs> And and to get that that good. Um, and yeah, going back and watching it as well as watching the first Spider-Verse, the first Spider-Verse is even better now. I feel like having watched the second one, like they really are such an amazing, cohesive, absolutely planned out. I guess they must have been to some degree to go together. Um, 
and and just like the reflections of both movies, like things that reflect back um, that you see in a different light now that the universe is different or the character is different, just scenes that kind of repeat in these interesting ways. Um, it just has been really good for me on rewatches, still funny, still great. And like that, this is just this as Disney shit the bed this year. For many oh, yeah. reasons, not just their animated things. <laughs> um, the fact that Sony is has come in and hit two huge out of the park movies with Spider Verse, not to mention some of these other you know sort of secondary properties. It's interesting to see someone new coming in and just changing the genre. Yeah, no, I liked Across the Spider Verse a lot. I definitely preferred Into the Spider Verse. I think just because Across the Spider Verse just decides that it's over um you know and that's yeah. just, i just hate the fucking two-part thing um that's just becoming so common now but i did really enjoy it and uh, you know it's just so beautiful to look at uh, i love their animation style and nobody is making more beautiful animated movies than sony right now yeah i'm, I'm fully in agreement with that i fucking loved that movie too uh it's it's not my best of 2023 though but what I is it um, <clears throat> this might be a recency bias. Uh, and you know, I, just to keep it from not being killers of the flower moon across the board here for a lot of things. Um, I'm going to go with the holdovers cause I just watched okay. it. And, uh, you know, I've been, I would say like the Alexander Payne movies I've seen before, like ups and downs, but this one, it hits that. I think it, it continues my trend each, each year I've had like a best of that has been something about humanity, schmaltzy feelings and like, a lot of authenticity and genuineness and uh it was like you know pig and then it was everything everywhere all at once and now the holdovers uh it it does we were talking about it offline dixon and uh one of the things that you said was like it follows some conventional beats like you can definitely feel like you've seen this movie before mm -hmm. you know roughly where it's gonna go but the acting is so fucking top tier um like the script is so solid the just the journey itself um it, it's such a, a fantastic execution on this what would in every other sense be like a hallmark movie or some kind of disneyfied bullshit um this story of of like outsiders and people who have failed and like grief and loss and like coming to terms with it or just like having acceptance in it um and the forging of relationships underneath it too like I'm a huge Paul Giamatti fan, so I'm also a bit biased in that regard, but I feel like Giamatti just fucking knocks it out of the park in this. And, uh, it's a great, like, uh, it's just a great ensemble cast for it. Like the, the three at the core of it, although the kid, whoever the actor is that plays the kid, he's all right. But like, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my feelings about it. And I feel very strongly that, uh, I think I put in my like letterboxd review. This is like the first time that I've watched a movie where I'm like, I could see this being a Christmas classic. Like I could absolutely watch oh, wow. this every Christmas. Like that's a pretty powerful statement because everybody fucking throws around Christmas classic as like anything. If it has like snow in it and Santa Claus somewhere, they're like Christmas classic, like violent night, Christmas classic. Yeah. You know, it's this way. Um, but this one, I just genuinely felt it when I got done watching it. I was like, I want to watch it again. Like I ordered the movie. I want to get it on physical, all the other things that come with it that I was just like, this is it. So that, that tells me enough. Um, but yeah, nice. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I do feel like it feels like kind of what you expect from 
a 90s drama for adults, like a 1990s movie. And it's like, they don't make movies like that anymore. So it was nice to see that made. But it, I did feel like I knew exactly where it was going the <laughs> entire time. And that limited, limited it a little bit for me. But I thought it was very well executed for that type of movie. Giamatti and Divine Joy Randolph are incredible in it. And um, yeah, it, it's really well done. I love the, you know, there's some good comedic bits. I love the bit about like which of his eyes is the lazy eye or the glass eye. It's like he does, Giamatti does some incredible eye work there that like, I don't know how it's physically possible that he he was able to do that. Um, but yeah, it was a, I, I definitely enjoyed it and uh, glad to hear that, that you liked it so much. Yeah. Sasha and I watched it together. And the funny thing was um, halfway through, she was like, is this shot on film? And I was like, I really don't know. Um, but it looks like it. It has a lot of the, it elements. has kind of a grainy feel to it. And yeah. uh, they have like imperfections too. You can see like certain parts where like dirt is added and that kind of stuff. And I looked it up and it's completely digital oh, really? shot on digital, but it, it looks so convincing in a lot of the ways that it's they did. The, kind of, they cloned Tyrone approach, but better, but better. Yeah. <laughs> And so she was like, yeah, take, I don't know why, but Sasha was like, yeah, take that you and your fucking love of film. And I was like, I never <laughs> said I was a film guy only like, what? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really funny. Uh, so I was just impressed nice. by that too. They did a lot of, they put a lot of work into making it look like it was older than it actually is. Yeah. Um, I appreciate it. Cool. Um, so my best movie of 2023, I did a very quick top 10 of course you did you maverick i did 10 the boy and the heron nine poor things eight the quiet girl seven the iron claw six john wicks colon chapter four <laughs> five aberrants four once within a time three oppenheimer two lakota nation versus united states and number one is killers of the flower moon so we've already talked about this in length i won't go too much more into it on what ryan has already said but um just a hell of a movie and i think just uh, very fascinating coming from scorsese and taking his lens of like i feel like later his later career like 2010s is kind of taking his lens on organized crime and pointing it at different areas of society even before that like the Departed is about how the cops are like organized crime. The Wolf of Wall Street is how uh, Wall Street is like organized crime. And Kills of the Flower Moon is about how like Amer the American project is organized crime. You know, as as we have, you know, moved across the country and systematically, uh, you know, just put hits on the, the native population and, um, you know, just taken whatever we wanted. And, um, you know, it's just a very... It's a very upsetting film, but it is an, an excellent film. Um, you know, I think Scorsese has done better movies, but I think this one is just excellent and really affecting and um, just a really interesting thing for him to turn his his lens on and make a movie that feels like a Scorsese movie, yet also feels like a 1950s Western and a modern movie that is very angry about where we are as a society and how we have gotten here and the things that we have overlooked and not written about in our history books and just kind of let let slide as these terrible evil acts that we've committed um so yeah uh go see killers of the flower moon if you haven't what the fuck are you doing <laughs> on your short list um 
Iron Claw, I do want to watch. I was thinking I was going to get I was wondering if you had seen that yet. I thought I might be able to squeak squeak it in before the end of the year, but I haven't. But I I actually probably will go see it shortly, like this week. Um, Okay. I have to do a trade, though, because Darla wants to watch Aquaman 2. So I was like, oh, no. I was like, if you really want to see it and you're okay with me sleeping in the theater, I'm like, Iron Claws are, that's the, we just got to watch those, like, Barbie Heimer. And she's okay with that because she actually tolerates my wrestling enough. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah so I, I de- that's a huge follow-up for me and then and then poor things is actually the if i was going to come up with like the movie that ryan should have watched and will really like when he gets around to it uh-huh, of 2023 yeah. it's poor things like this yep. was the uh the northmen or everything everywhere all at once that it said <laughs> people are like why didn't you watch that and i'm like i don't know like, oh man you would yeah. love it and i i just hadn't gotten around to it <laughs> um i think that poor things is that one for me nice Okay, all right, our next category after the best movie of 2023, it's the worst movie of 2023. John, what was your worst movie of the year? This is going to be one of those, like, of course, you fucking idiot. What did you think you were going to go see? <laughs> um, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't see that one. I can't remember what I told y'all I had the option of going to see. It was like when Ryan lists <laughs> off all the in-flight movies he could watch, and he chooses the one Across the Spider-Verse one. was out in theaters, That's and right. you didn't that see was that. What it I was, was like, oh, I, could, Transformers. I could have seen this in theaters, and uh, instead I went to see Transformers Rise of the Beasts that <laughs> night. Um, and I sat alone in the theater with like, well, I wasn't. A, there was like four strangers there. But I think that none of us had a good time. At least I hope not. Did you um, like talk it out with them afterward in the hallway? Be like, guys, are you okay? I think like, that we all avoided eye contact. Oh, you didn't want to be theater. mean there having gone definitely, to yeah, ticket like, to that. I went in, you know, and I tried to to buy. It was like uh, De Niro walking into the taxi driver porn theater. <laughs> it's just like, all right, I guess uh, give me some junior mints and some other shit. I've, I hear a lot of couples out. go to see these yeah, kinds yeah. of movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's just like, it's one of those things where the transformers franchise that Michael Bay established has taken on like this different life where now I can't tell if they're trying to bank on the, the, like the Aquaman kind of hype where they're like, it's still like fun, but it's nothing about Zack Snyder's cinematic universe. Like that's what transformers feels like now. Cause they did Bumblebee and they were like, Oh, it's like nothing like Michael Bay's thing. Like all the nostalgia's back, everybody you're going to fucking love whatever this is. And I didn't watch that shit either. But I had heard about that and how good it was. And I was like, all right. And then the Rise of the Beast came out and people were like, oh, it's like actually a really fun movie. It's good. It's got, you know, whatever kind of action. And I was like, okay. Ryan, I really uh, saw it. Ryan, wow. John, yeah. uh, I don't I don't know your names. John, you fell for the same trap that I always fall for, for with Marvel movies. Every Marvel yeah. movie. Yeah. But uh-huh. I, I see, I take the smaller section where there's only like eight Transformers movies that I could fall for it with. Mm-hmm. But Marvel's always got like one every quarter. Yeah, they're like yeah. 34 now <laughs> or something. Yeah. So I've started to hone down where I'll tolerate trying to experiment with that. But yeah, I was just so shocked by how bad it was compared to what was a swell of like audience appreciation. I was just like, no, none of it. None of it landed for me. Mm. Somebody who loved Transformers from like an older era and Beast Wars. I fucking hated all of that movie. (laughs) So, and I felt like they used Michelle Yeoh in like the dumbest way. And I was just like, ah, she's just getting paychecks now. She was like, I didn't even know she was in that crushing it in, uh, crushing it in everything everywhere all at once. And then after that, the checks started rolling in for whatever she wanted to do. Hey, good for her. Yeah. Good for her. That's what I'll say. 
But the movie <laughs> itself sucked. <laughs> uh, one of one of those you should not check out was the uh, American-born Chinese adaptation on Disney. Um, okay, that pretty much was the oh, let's just we could just buy the cast of everything everywhere at one all at once and then put them in something shitty. Oh. Like, that's exactly it. Was so many of the same people, uh, and then the adaptation only had a little bit to do with the original graphic novel, and then mostly was like other derivative bullshit. Like it was just really poor decisions. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah, I'm looking at the the reviews right now. So. Academy Award winner Jamie Lee Curtis in <laughs> something <laughs> shitty on Disney Plus. <laughs> that would be Freaky Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, cool. All right, Ryan, what was your worst movie of 2023? You saw double digit 2023 movies. What was the last one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the worst for me, and I didn't see this in theaters, which is good, even though my family had wanted to. But I really, I Cocaine Bear was definitely there. We kind of talked about that already. But uh, uh, Ruby Kraken, Teenage Gilman, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, Terry Gilliam's Teenage Kraken. Looking back at for, all for of For the it, record, what is the actual name of the Ruby movie? Ruby Gilman, Gilman Teenage colon, Kraken. Teenage Kraken. Yeah. yeah Ruby Gilman, Gil, Gilman, colon, Teenage Kraken. <laughs> Say that five times fast. <laughs> um, and this is probably only because I haven't watched whatever the fuck of the migration, but for like oh, what animated, yeah. yeah, what animated movies are, what like Spider Verse is pushing in such a new direction. Um, some, some of these companies are just shitting it out at this point. Um, and it, it looked disappointing in the ads to me. It didn't look like something I would be interested in. It looked derivative around the same time elemental was coming out and also hit it, had its ads and it seemed, um, derivative having now watched both elemental is better than it's advertised for, but not excellent. And Ruby Gilman is worse than what it was advertised as, Mm. which is, which is questionable. It, It really was just so many things I've already seen before done a little bit worse and just like I, I, you talk about knowing what the beats are going to be like, they're just stupid, obvious, exactly what's going to yeah. happen. It's just the same. It's like a story that we don't need to hear again. Um, there really was practically nothing in it that was redeemable. There were, you know, the things that were funny were just obvious, like easy grabs, nothing that took effort to set up. Um, mm. And yeah, so for, for me, that was just nope. And I'm mm. sure, you know, from the animation, it's kind of like, Certain certain studios now, and it's DreamWorks and Illumination. I kind of know they just have their like. It's like what Disney did in their shitty period. They have their rigging, so to speak. Disney used to just like animate over the top of their yep. already good animation, yes. <laughs> just reuse it. I have this feeling that like Illumination and DreamWorks, because they do it with their TV shows, they just sort of like get the rigging good and then just reuse shit or smudge it a little bit. And then yeah. the TV shows are just like, oh well, we made Kung Fu Panda. We can just keep making Kung Fu Panda shows. We already have all the, everything we need, all the sets, all the characters, everything. We just crap it out forever. Now they're um, going to make a fourth one. Yeah, they're going to, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Correction. It's not Ruby Gilman colon. It's Ruby <laughs> Gilman comma teenage Kraken. Oh. It has a comma? That's yeah, a comma. comma. That's, That's a rare. Yeah. I, honestly, like, the title of the movie is just so bad. Like, I, I it takes a lot for I me to really go see a- an animated kids movie. 
But the title was just so terrible. I was like, no, no, I would never even get I don't want to know anything more than that. The title, I'm out. No. Get that the yeah, fuck I, away from me. Yeah. And I really wonder, yeah, some there's certain titles where I'm like, why didn't you just fucking call it this? And into that one, it's like, what was wrong with Teenage Kraken? Like, there's right. not. Right. Why do you need the, na- the another full one. name of the character? Is yeah. Weird. For merchandising. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's awful. That's why I call it Terry Gilliam's Teenage Kraken. Yeah. <laughs> it's a better, it's a better title, honestly. Better title. What if we had Terry Gilliam voicing the yes, character? Yeah, we get Terry Gilliam. I'd be on board. <laughs> what do you got? Cool. All right, so I did a bottom ten for the worst movies of twenty twenty three. Number ten, Meg Two's colon the trench. Nine sixty five. Number eight, the old way. Number seven, mission mission colon impossible dash dead reckoning part one. Six, Skinnamarink. Five, Infinity Pool. Four, The Retirement Plan. Three, The Marvels. Two, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Oh, I gotta know what one is. And number one is Hypnotic, which uh, I refuted uh, on this podcast uh, a couple months ago. You recommended it to me. Uh, because you like shit. Of course. <laughs> you just eat it with a giant spoon yeah, out absolutely. of Absolutely. What do you think the spoon's for? <laughs> yeah. Um, God, Hypnotic is so, so, so bad. Um, ben Affleck, like, more and more in every movie just looks like he wants to kill himself. Like, not even as Batman has he looked more like he wanted to kill himself than in <laughs> Hypnotic. Um, I don't know what Robert Rodriguez is doing with his time. He just needs to only make machete movies at this point. Like, those movies are excellent, and he really hasn't done anything else good in decades. So I don't I don't know what he's doing. Um, a crazy sci-fi movie about, like, people wearing red blazers who look like realtors but are supposed to be part of some sort of, like, CIA-esque organization that control time and space and bullshit and it's so fucking stupid and the villains are so benign looking that like you can't take it seriously uh some of the worst cgi i've seen in a very long time um maybe outside of next um <laughs> but uh yeah multiple cages those were well done <laughs> multiple cages the, that shipwreck yeah uh, the rolling train so many terrible cgi scenes in yeah. next um but yeah, Hypnotic is just an absolute pile of shit. I don't know what the fuck Robert Rodriguez is doing. I, it feels like he's trying to make movies on a low budget and like he's friends with Ben Affleck. And so he was able to get some like he wrote this movie and directed it and shot it and did edited it and did like all these things. And I guess good on him for doing a passion project that he wanted to do. But dear Lord, it sucks. Do not watch Hypnotic. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I'm gonna. Because you <laughs> yeah no John will watch it uh, yeah, at some point. Follow up on it yeah. yeah no yeah John's gonna be like oh yeah I should read that Schrader book and watch an Ozu movie oh wait you know what I should watch Hypnotic instead I was on a plane and I had the option yeah, of all of the Schrader yeah. movies in that book and I watched Hypnotic uh-huh. all the time. yeah the classic Ryan line <laughs> cool okay so now we are going to split off into some individual categories that we want to talk about of things that stood out to us each individually over the course of the year. John, what do you want to talk about as your first category? Um, kind of pulling from the categories I had last year, uh, I have, thanks to Letterboxd, uh, a good history of what has been my first, last movie, that kind of thing. And This podcast brought to you by Letterboxd. That's right. We are not sponsored by them, but it would be <laughs> cool if they thought about us. Uh, <laughs> um, so the first movie, I mean, I, I said the last movie I watched this year, you already know that category. That's the holdovers. That was the last thing that I watched in 2023. The first movie, fittingly, is Suburban Sasquatch, mm. uh, which I don't know if I've talked about, recommended or refuted. 
but it's up there in one of those good, bad categories. Um, and so I figured it was probably worth noting because if you start your movie off with suburban Sasquatch, you can only go up. Uh, is the Sasquatch <laughs> living in suburbia with a family of other Sasquatch? No, this isn't like a Harry and the Hendersons yeah, thing. This is, uh, yeah, this is, this is much more of a, uh, the suburbs like are Geico commercial. Like my, <laughs> what is it? My, my review of it was, I, I don't remember writing this, but at the beginning of the year I wrote, wow, I'm surprised there are so many parallels to Avatar 2 in this movie. That <laughs> story structure. Were there subtitled whale moans? <laughs> There's, might as well have been. You got to snort uh, on that one. <laughs> um, Still the loudest I've ever laughed in a movie theater. <laughs> uh, there might as well have been. Sasquatch has only one sound it ever makes the entire movie. To and be that played is, here. Played rrr, here. Rrr, 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 rrr. <laughs> it's like what it is. It's so bad on a loop um, it's about that long and it's on a loop like whenever it constantly he's loops yeah. no matter what and they play the same dramatic music every time it's like this shitty keyboard <laughs> dramatic song um but yeah like i watched it with i think a group of friends uh probably right as the the ball was dropping uh, as my guess um and we we finished it out in the new year and i remember being like yeah that's a good way to kick this year off with something that's like so floor level you can just every movie after like boom, boom, boom. I mean, I said Star Odyssey would definitely set a bar, but this was like an entertaining bar to set at least. Like the Bigfoot costume has a dick. And oh, I never thought I'd see that. Are you sure <laughs> that was the costume? <laughs> that is, I don't know which man plays Bigfoot, but that man uh, is cursed and blessed, I suppose. Um, but yeah, uh, even more insane was the, I, I watched a bunch of behind the scenes features for it and stuff. And everybody is like, I wanted to work on this film because I love the director of it. And the director, I've never heard of him. Just like lives in Pennsylvania, wants to shoot UFO and Sasquatch based movies. Hey, I guess he found his people. Um, so yeah, that was my, that was my uh, first watch of the year. <laughs> All right. What do we got elsewise? Ryan, what, uh, what do you got for us? Uh, I was going to get into most surprising, but just of, of quick of note, usually I have no idea what I watch during the year. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember and I don't use Letterboxd and every year I say I'm going to use Letterboxd and I don't use Letterboxd. Um, <laughs> Ryan but I, is not sponsored by Letterboxd. <laughs> I did actually know this year and I was paying attention a couple days ago to remember what the last thing I watched was. But the first thing I watched was the Avatar Way of the Water because I didn't catch it in 2022. and. Yeah. and Caught it uh, at the beginning on on, on vacation. CGI uh, suburban the, Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah. The the <laughs> last one I watched was Blue Beetle. And that was literally, we watched the New York ball drop. And then we said, well, we have some time to waste before it drops in Los Angeles. And we watched Blue Beetle. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched the ball drop. <laughs> so that was how I ended my year. Uh, and yeah, those superhero movies have been disappointing this year, uh, to say the least. But I want to get into that later. But what what I have down here is... I talked a moment ago about movies that I watched twice. And in the past, I've kind of said that where it's like, if I rewatch a movie or I know I'm going to or want to rewatch a movie, like right after seeing it, to me, that marks that it was a good movie. It may not be a good movie, quote unquote, but to me, like this was a good movie or, or a favorite mm -hmm. movie, even if it's a guilty pleasure. It hooked um, you enough to bring you back. Yep. Yeah, it hooked me enough. There were... Two, that it's surprising to me that they did that and that I watched them again this year. Uh, 
the first one of those being Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Colin's Honor Among Thieves. Um, we did talk about it. I know we had to, you know, what are our, our opinions or of it, but I did really come out enjoying it. And I did at the theater at that time go, I want to watch this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only Logan and I had seen it. So I had to introduce it to the rest of the family who actually Darla and Ella both walked away being like, yeah, that was fun. And even like Ella, Logan and I will, will reference it sometimes. Um, and I totally will watch it again. Like it's, it's very surprising to me how much I enjoyed that. Uh, it is a, we trick Dixon into a Marvel movie, Marvel movie. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very good Marvel movie, but it is still a Marvel Marvel movie. movie. Yeah. Uh, it, the other one that surprised me, and I've watched it now twice, was Mithrigan. Uh, oh, <laughs> everything yeah. of, everything about that should not have been entertaining to me. <laughs> it looked like the epitome of a, a horror movie that I hate. Uh, and I watched it again, and I watched it with Logan, and he had a great time. And it, and it actually is at that, uh, right in that, you're on the cusp of PG-13, wanting to get into horror, but you don't want to go into a fully R movie. Do you it get one an, fuck? Yeah, you get your one yeah, fuck. You get nice. some like a little bit of violence on screen, but enough that it doesn't get too bad. Uh, bloods at like a minimum, and y- you know you just have somebody scream off in this off the camera, and you know they died. Um, but it was it's a good just again like a fun. I had a fun time. I enjoyed it, and enough that after I watched it, I was like, oh, I'm watching it. Yeah, I'm watch whatever stupid sequel is to this. Um, and yeah, <laughs> and like watch it again with Logan. Like I was already ready to. Re- yeah, she's called it. Morgan. In the yeah, Morgan. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, so. so that those those both were surprising, and both that I rewatched those. I already mentioned that I rewatched Spider Verse, um, and I did rewatch Barbie last week, and also mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. And those all of those, I came out having watched them and being like, I'll watch them again. Okay, nice, Dixon. What's your category? All right, my first category is best male performance. Uh, and that goes to Killian Murphy from Oppenheimer. Um, I really enjoyed Oppenheimer and I, I felt like this was going to be one that like we kind of like all liked, but didn't really talk about. And I, I think it's worth discussing here on the podcast. I think Ryan had seen it at the time and John and I hadn't when we talked about it as a group, but, um, I, I really enjoyed Oppenheimer. I'm not the biggest Christopher Nolan fan. Um, I absolutely despised Tenet and Interstellar. Um, and I think a lot of his movies are not as like intellectual as a lot of people think they are like you know inception is fine and like i think you know uh the dark knight is good i don't think it's as good as people think it is for the most part i think a lot of times his movies are the ones that uh kind of pull away from the emotion and are just kind of showing you events that occurred but oppenheimer actually like hit on an emotional level with me that i was really surprised by and i i didn't think no one really had it in him to make a movie that would move me the way that it did um and killian murphy is just incredible the whole time and and you know he has to go through so many things as that character and he's in almost every single scene of the movie aside from a few scenes with robert downey jr and his lackeys like in a side room at the congressional hearing but like pretty much everything else has Killian Murphy front and center in every scene. And he just does such an incredible job to carry you through that movie and make you fascinated by what is going on to his character and to those around him in every scene. Um, and he plays a, a flawed character, right? He's, he's you know, a guy who invented the deadliest thing that we could possibly imagine as a species that will probably be the destruction of us all at some point. 
And, you know, he has like he's really smart. He has some good qualities. You know, he sometimes seems like a nice guy. Other times seems like a huge dick. And the movie paints him both ways. You get kind of the full picture of who this guy was as a person to, you know, the degree that we can do so about a guy who's been dead for for a long time. And we've now made this movie about him. But um, I, I was really impressed by Killian Murphy in that role and uh, really enjoyed Oppenheimer as a film. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I got to see it when I was in New York on IMAX 70 millimeter. Nice. I saw it in Dallas was... on IMAX 70 millimeter. But we tried to go see it together in IMAX 70 millimeter, <laughs> and the <laughs> fucking projector was broken. So and cool. uh, like, man, if you're one of the 30 screens in the world that can show IMAX 70 millimeter and Oppenheimer comes out, you better, you know, what you run doing? that shit a few times before <laughs> you start having screenings. Uh, I don't know what that was about, but I'm glad that we both actually got to experience it in IMAX 70 millimeter because it does look fucking incredible on a, on a big screen like that on film. It, it looks great. Yeah. And I'm excited to watch it again. Um, I have not had the chance to, but it's one of those where I'm like, yeah, I, there's so much that I feel like I can go back through and just absorb um, and the, the score, even though I had some qualms with the score playing the entire time the movie was going, score is great, did a great yeah. job and it built really well to a silent moment. That was fucking right. Yeah. 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 I, it for 2023 movies, absolutely up there. I, I agree. Putting it, you know, in that, in that top to me, it didn't quite push over. There are a few, like I have a few nitpicks with it. Um, that kind of hold it back a little bit. Uh, it is excellent. The, you know, acting is excellent. Robert Downey Jr. as well um, mm-hmm. is, is a really great. Um, it just like it, it, the three hours did hit. Like there's definitely a point where you feel like the movie really hits this excellent. And you were talking about silence, like everything builds to a moment. It hits, it's powerful. And then we have to wrap up this other storyline. Like, yeah. and that yeah. was the one part that it kind of, I know Nolan likes to play with the like jumping back and forth and time. Oh, and does he like ever? That. <laughs> yeah. And it, it ends up feeling really wonky and something that is, yeah, you know, a real thing happening in a real time to have that much sort of jumping around. Uh, and I felt like that was a little unwieldy. I think if it hadn't been three hours, that probably wouldn't have ended up bothering me so much. But it it ended up being with it that long. And actually, like talking about the recent new movies we watched this year, Darla brought up the Oppenheimer of like, yeah, it was really good. It just like wasn't quite there, though. Like there was mm-hmm. enough, like just a couple of weird nitpicks. Yeah. I, it's for, it was my highest A minus of the year, and it's like I really liked it, and I thought the parts that hit really hit. But there's definitely yeah. some weak points. Like the female characters are really poorly yeah. written and like feel like they're shoehorned in. Um, you know, I think you mentioned, Ryan, we talked about in your recommender refute about uh, Florence Pugh's character, like, you know, having sex and pulling the book off the wall about and like it, reading yes. the quote about I am become death, destroyer of worlds. It made yeah. coitus. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? That was stupid. awful. Yeah. Um, and... I, I will say that, like, yeah, the third act, probably a little bit long, could have been protracted a little bit. I thought the final scene of the movie was one of the most powerful things that I saw all year. And and that ending has stuck with me since I saw that movie for the first time. I, I think about that a lot. Um, and I thought it was a really good way to end the film on a very contemplative note and um, something that casts Oppenheimer's character in a very uh, confusing light, right? Where you're, like, not really sure yeah. how to feel about him. 
when the movie is over and how to feel about where we are as a species and where we're headed and how much time we have left. And um, I, th that just really stuck with me. And, and Murphy's performance makes that moment land in a way that a slightly lesser performance would have made it feel hollow and kind of dumb to end the movie. And then in the lobby, you hear some film bros that are like, well, it wasn't as good as Inception, though. <laughs> <laughs> so much better than Inception. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably Nolan's best movie. Um, I, I thought it was really good. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, John, what is your next category for us? Uh, my next category is, so I just wanted to touch on a real recommend or refute follow through. I don't think that I've had the chance to tell Ryan, or maybe I did tell you on an episode, but I watched the One Piece series. The line re oh, yeah. recommended. Yeah, you hadn't said that. And I fucking loved it. Uh, Sasha watched it with me and she fucking loved it. And nice. I think that that's a good testament to the series itself kind of building good character, good stories. You don't need to know any of the anime or any of the manga to go into it. And you can just have like a good time. It's really campy. At the same time, there are moments that are played completely serious with wild shit. And it, it's weird to me that it totally works. Um, yeah. Like I, I, don't know that I've seen something pull that kind of tonal dissonance off so well in a, a physical, like live action medium. Um, but yeah, I liked that. Uh, I've kind of skirt past it though. I don't want to talk too much about it. Uh, it is just kind of my notable follow-up um, into my honorable mentions. So I, right. Dixon, you made your lists for top 10 best worst or top five best worst. I can't remember at this point. Uh, and you had honorable mentions in those. So mine for this year, I wanted to call out poor things because oh you saw poor I saw poor things oh I, I didn't even know that it. I absolutely yeah. loved it it was a fantastic movie um, probably the only thing I didn't like about it was that my experience was interrupted by a gentleman on Christmas Day I went to see poor things and this old man stood at the front of the, the theater when the trailer started rolling and he just said I think my son has abandoned me and I was like. <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> and he was like has anybody seen my son and i was like daniel plainview is Re that you reverse <laughs> daniel plainview <laughs> and and he kind of like shrugged and sat back down but then he kept, he kept getting up not during the movie but like in the trailers and like going around and looking for his son and he stood over me and he made direct eye contact with me and he went i think my son left me here it's just as well and then he turned and oh left my god and i was like I turned to Sasha and I was like, do I go after him? And she was like, and do what? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it just seemed distressing. Um, but he came back in and he watched the movie and he talked during like half of it, which kind of sucked. Oh, no. I got up and I was like, That's excuse bad. me, sir, can you not talk? And he was like, oh, yeah, of course. And he actually did remain quiet for the rest of the film. Oh, hey. Good so, man. you know, like That's, he was nice. very considerate. And, it and was, whenever I have done that, it has not gone well. Uh, yeah. People are just like, fuck you, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm going to say whatever man. I want. I think that he was just dealing with his own shit on Christmas Day, which was even sadder. Sad, yeah. But um, Poor Things itself, fucking loved the movie. What a fantastic time. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a bonus experience, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that guy at the end of it, he like was chewing a stranger's ear off, just telling them about all the fucking things he loved in the movie. And I was like, good for you, man. You still found warmth and comfort in cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then the the other honorable mentions I had are I talked about it. Wait, hold on. Can I comment yeah. on poor things before Absolutely. you move on? Please. Yeah, uh, that was in my top ten. I I loved poor things. Um, I I really like Yorgos Lanthimos. I think he is just one of the most interesting directors working right now. He has such a unique vibe to what he's doing, and 
like I, I love the lobster and the favorite, and those are the ones that I feel like people still talk about, and everyone seems to have forgotten about Killing of a Sacred Deer. Holy shit, that movie's great. Like, that's my favorite of his. It's so good. Um, but Poor Things is is a fascinating film, and it, it was my favorite comedy of the year. Spoiler, that was one of my later categories. But um, it's so well acted. Emma Stone and and Willem Dafoe and Mark Ruffalo are all so good in it. And it, Will, Willem Dafoe is like a cross between Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's just like, if that doesn't make you want to see the movie, I don't know what else will. Oh, um, God, it's so but great. like, it's so, it's such a wild movie. Like Willem Dafoe has, is like a surgeon who just experiments with different animal parts and puts them together and has like a dog with a duck's head, just like walking around in his yard <laughs> like... and shit like that. That's just like really well edited together where it looks legit really like very insane. very good cgi to make that uh that work and uh just a very just a delightful watch like There's really a- funny throughout a lot of interesting ideas it's a very like feminist movie and a kind of an empowering movie for like you know kind of women conquering the or conquer or like just over overcoming like the men in their lives who are trying to like own them and and determine where where they go in their life and uh i, I it was a, yeah. a very enjoyable watch. I will say, uh, one, there's some really cool technical aspects. Like they used, I think they used a four millimeter lens. Really? For some of the shots. Cause like, they do a lot of, he does a lot of fisheye lenses in his movie. Yeah. 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 Specifically like just the circular part. That's Uh four millimeter. That they were just like, Oh, we just like had that. Cause uh, we wanted to get as wide as possible with like whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other thing that I noticed when I came out of that movie and uh, Dixon, you'll probably be like, huh, when I say it, but um, a lot of parallels to licorice pizza, which is oh, weird interesting to me, hmm. but it, it, it has that same kind of embodiment of like all the men in this one woman's life are absolute dog shit in some way or another. Yeah. And she has to overcome that. And I was like, that's really interesting parallel. And I talked with Sasha about it because Sasha fucking loved poor things. And she was like, I'd have to watch Licorice Pizza again to see what you're talking about. But like, she's interested to do the comparative there. Mm-hmm. Kind of excited about that. Um, but yeah, fucking loved it. Ryan, right. that is one of those that you should have seen by Yeah, you should see yeah, it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it just came out though. Like, I don't you, know. you give me that. <laughs> it's Mind been a Gators for like a month. You still haven't watched Mind Game. Got it. Yes, yes. Also on the short list. Inside joke for the listeners <laughs> yes. who listen to the Gymkata episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, my other of my other honorable mentions, um, just wanted to note again, I watched Hello Dankness when I was in New York. I think I talked about that briefly. It was like an edited full feature length film that used footage from every other movie from like the 80s to 90s to talk about the 2016 presidential campaign. Oh, um, I don't think you did mention that. If you did, I've completely forgotten it. Well, uh, it's Hello Dankness. I have no idea how you can stream it. Uh, but Hello Dankness, it, my old friend. That is exactly what it's in reference to. <laughs> uh, and it's just like a, a tour de force of like editing. Like it's just really impressive. It combines so many different movies to make one narrative that is a, like the biggest fucking meme, I guess. Um, but it also is just compelling in how it works. Uh, it's, it's goofy and wild and fun to watch with friends. Um, and then the other movie that I wanted to call out because I love surreal shit. And I think I mentioned it on a recommender refute and I just wanted to bring it back up is a uh, zero grad. That's the mm-hmm. like Soviet era surrealist film about a man who arrives in this town just to get like 
some patents checked over for an air conditioning unit and he gets sucked into a full bureaucratic life cycle until the point where he's like spit out into this weird town community that they're like, oh, you look exactly like this other guy to the point where like the chef of this restaurant made a cake with your face. He says you're his son and like (laughs) he gets assassinated or dies and then a whole police investigation gets spun up to like basically drag this main character into the town as deep into the hole of the bureaucracy of the Soviet Union as possible. It's fucking wild. Has like a uh, wax museum where nobody's made of wax. They're all just (laughs) actors. And like, it tells all the glorious conquests of like the Soviet army and like really just biting critique on the Soviet Union. I know the director, when he made it, he said that, um, that they permitted it, but they did not like it when they let it through the film censors. <laughs> so uh, that kind of says, I guess, what you need to know about it. Um, John, I have no idea what the fuck you just said, but it sounds fascinating. Yeah. It's, I, I'm interested to, to seek it out. It it ends in a very comedic and fucking weird way. And uh, I had a good time with it. It reminded me of like, Sorry to Bother You and like some of those other movies nice. where it just, it just digs deep into the surreal. Um, but yeah, good time. Uh, Ryan, are you, what What do you have next? What's your, yeah. Uh, the last time I did the most bullshit kid thing that my kids made me watch, uh, <laughs> right. You did. And I went back and I really kind of dug through all of it. And surprisingly this year, I think because I've started just like pushing them up out of kids movies, like they're now just old enough. We watched the sixth sense together, um, mm. last week. Um, I've never was, seen that, which is really entertaining. Like it was the same experience I had with Terminator two with my son before. It's like really entertaining in a world where someone has no clue what they're getting into mm. to, to watch something like that versus the experience, like as it came out and, and as it was just so in the cultural that everybody knows everything about it. Yeah. Um, I of course know all the spoilers, even though I have never seen a single frame yeah. of that movie. Yeah. We, I, I was trying to get it to my kids before it got spoiled by the rest of the world, right? There's like a mm-hmm. short window where you haven't you don't know what Terminator 2 is yet, or you don't know what the sixth sense is yeah. yet, or whatever, mm-hmm. that you can you can get away with it. Um they didn't really have any bullshit. And we watched some Christmas shit at the end of this year that I was surprised wasn't that bad. We watched the Naughty Nine, which came out on Disney. And essentially, it wasn't really like a Christmas. A yeah, it does. it does sound very questionable. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, what? Uh, it doesn't sound like a Christmas movie. And honestly, it's a heist movie that just has the trappings of a Christmas movie. It pretty much is that like, you motherfucker, I'm in. But they're oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to steal presents from Santa. Um, enough that like at the end of it, I was like, I, I kind of kept watching, kind of would watch the sequel. It's not good. It's not an excellent movie, but I kind of had fun with it. We watched the, uh, fuck, I can't even fucking remember the name of it, but the Eddie Murphy Christmas movie, which oh, I, I know was certain was going to be oh, that the worst thing to Amazon movie. I was certain it was going to be. I absolutely saw the ads terrible. for that and I thought like, dear God, I thought Eddie Murphy died. What is happening? What is yeah, he doing? I was convinced that was going to be God awful and it was, uh, entertaining. I like really? laughed and yeah. And like it was again, it I wasn't good. You. It wasn't good, but it was like entertaining enough. Candy Cane Lane. That's Candy Cane Lane. That was it. Yeah. It it missed on like I talked about it the next day because I was like, what was the Christmas lesson? 
Like it was one of those where I'm like, they missed the core. There like, is none. <laughs> yeah. And they, they kind of get like, uh, you know, leprechaun, careful with what you wish for into something that, that I was like, <laughs> I don't know why the person was just straight up malicious. Like it wasn't like there was a good reason. And the way they solved it had nothing to do with uh, whatever bad things they potentially were doing. But put that aside. It was fun. Uh, so yeah, the most bullshit Everything thing. But the movie was great. Yeah, the uh, most bullshit really? thing I watched is those Air Bud movies of my own accord, and the Air oh, Bud yeah. volleyball movie was the most bullshit kid thing I watched, and I this put myself through that. This is very surprising. Yeah. Um, so you didn't I wa- go back for more. <laughs> I what I did go back for more was uh, Rudolph and Frosty's uh, Christmas in July, <laughs> uh, and watch that with my family, and uh, not my wife because she abstained. She was like, mm. no. That's There's a no rule. way she can do that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone in my family kind of did, will veto can things here out. and there. Yeah, you just sort of bow out. Um, Ella, Ella really wanted to bow out, and I told her like, fine. And she started reading a book, and then maybe a third into the movie Came was back. just locked in in the insanity. It was like, <laughs> what is going go. on? Yep. Why is this happening? Oh my god, is Rudolph fighting snakes? Um, and just King. had to get into yeah, it. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's just they come back. <laughs> So a surprisingly oh, good year of, of kids' movie bullshit okay. for me. Well, there you go. I'm happy for you, Ryan. Yeah, me too. Dixon, what do you got? Yeah, my next category, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've talked about this movie, but my uh, best female performance of the year is Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Uh, she's just fucking incredible in that movie, like really carries it. There are so many great performances in that movie. DiCaprio is great. De Niro is great. Um, the, a lot of the side characters are really good, but but Lily Gladstone really carries the heart and the soul of that movie, and she's just fucking great. And I'm I'm so glad that she is getting these types of roles now. You know, going from doing Kelly Reichert movies and tiny little roles to like finally getting big roles that she deserves for the level of talent that she has. And uh, yeah, go watch Killers of the Flower Moon. There you go. She's really great in Reservation Dogs as well. We mentioned she's in a few episodes Mm -hmm. there and really great. Um, Darla is convinced that she is not going to win the Academy Award, even though she absolutely should. And that DiCaprio or De Niro are going to win. Oh, the white guys will win. Yes. That she's convinced that's what's going to happen. And I was like, I don't, I'm like, I see it. I see what you're saying. But I was like, I don't know how anyone could not pick her this year. She's so they'll good. Give it yeah. to so good. Stone. <laughs> yeah. They'll, yeah, they'll give it to yeah, some that's, white that's person. That's Darla's prediction, yes. Mm-hmm. Damn. That I could definitely see that happening. Um actually one of my favorite performances of the year and in that movie was like that that random side character who they keep trying to get to commit murder for them. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah it's like a shitload of kids and they'll do anything for money and ends up like <laughs> killing the guy in the guy. exact wrong way that they told him to. And like, He's like, I'm yeah. done with this shit. Doesn't he, he ends up like hanging out with him and become drinking buddies yeah, yeah. for like a few weeks yeah. before he's like, oh yeah, shit. So fucking sad. I love DiCaprio rats him out and they bring him in. They're like, we've got a witness who says that you you killed Henry Roan and he's like, who? And they bring in DiCaprio and he's like, this shit's getting put on me. All right, get your pencils out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy was great. Oh my God. But uh, not as good as Lily Gladstone. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, John, what do you have next on the docket for us? So I have Schlocktober every year. I have to have some kind of shout out in Schlocktober. Um, I can't just do Jim Cotta because we already talked about Jim Cotta. Get a full episode on Jim Cotta. Um, but Again, you're welcome, John. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I <laughs> almost got to show it to somebody today again. Oh. 
narrowly skirted around that and watched Undefeatable instead. But Jim Cotta is on the docket for that person. So hey, there you go. Um, my one Schlocktober call out, kind of uh, my mention here, and I don't know if I have talked about it on Recommend or Refute. I don't think I had the opportunity to because I was traumatized by Star Odyssey. Um, has this movie called Firecracker. It's a 1981 action film about a femme fatale who uh, in the Philippines decides to um, invade a mafia unit that has like a kumite of sorts that happens not oh. only here, but it's like every Saturday night, there's a kumite. You could bet on it. And like, they is Jean-Claude Van Damme in the movie? Is not in the movie at all. Uh, uh, I think that he uh, is like too young at this point. I don't know how old he was in the 80s. 81. Yeah, that would have yeah. been that would have been a little young. Yeah. Young. Yeah. Um, but it is directed by Sirio H. Santiago, who is a massive exploitation director in the Philippines who does like shit ton of action sequences in all of his movies. And it made me want to go watch a lot more of the films he's made because I've already watched, I think, two or three of them just as part of October or I was on Tubi and was like, fuck it, let it ride. And I didn't realize that until watching Firecracker because I was like, they're doing a lot of crazy shit in the streets. These other movies had that same thing. Does this guy just fucking rip up the Philippines anytime that he wants to? <laughs> um, and it really seems like it because he'll just get like massive car chases and like smash through a bunch of shit. And people will fight and they try to have like as realistic violence as possible um, with somebody dying. It's never, you know, too gory or too absurd, but it's just like, oh, this is like fun entertainment for me. And I'm discovering a director I didn't know that I would want to follow. Uh, I think that he's like known for being very prolific as well. So I've got quite a lot of backlog if I want to catch up with the things that you've uh. done. Um, but yeah, like this was this was a great time. I mean, he's he's not Godfrey Ho. He's not going to make a Ninja Terminator, but uh, using the same equivalent yeah. <laughs> uh, entertainment <laughs> using pretty fresh reels. Um, so yeah, Firecracker is my my Schlocktober call out. Uh, my okay. Honorary mention. But yeah. Ryan, what do you got for us? Yeah, so I wanted to kind of like highlight animation. I, it's something I talk about a lot. Um, the I, I do feel like this year was a good step forward. Though, interestingly, I think if people look at it, they're like, this was a terrible year. Um, and I, I think some of it is also in the animated shows, and I, people don't really pay enough attention to what's coming out in adult animated shows, including the services that are putting them out themselves. Um, but I, I like, as bad a year it was for me with like Mario fucking Kraken, the Trolls sequels, this crapped out. I, no migration's terrible. Um, wish <laughs> like elemental was like questionable. I think it was really just the way they sold it. On the flip side, you know, I, and here's I'll just say here's my top five and and work my way up and just be like that's really good feeding for animation fans. Uh, number five, I do have Ninja Turtles. Shout out to Ninja Turtles. Back when I talked about it, and said I don't know if this will be a top five. It turns out yeah. it's number five, and it just eked in. Uh, number four was Nimona, another movie I watched twice. Um, mm -hmm. and this last time watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really enjoying this again. Like, I really like this. Um, I think it's, it, it, it grew on me even more. Uh, number three was Suzume, which was a 2022 release in Japan, but 2023 early this year here. Mm. Um, I feel like it's flown under the radar. It is not as good as your name. I'm wondering if nothing is ever going to touch that for that director again. It may just be yeah. Your name is very good. too good <laughs> that mm -hmm. it's going to be hard for him to get back. I do think it's better than Weathering with, with You, 
Um, and it, I really do want to see it again. Um, even with my family, I brought it up and they're like, what was that movie? What? And I started describing it and they're like, oh yeah, we really liked that. That was really good. So it's sort of in a weird spot there. Um, but I do think it, it was excellent and a good year for movies coming to the States and coming out and being available to watch a movie theaters from Japan. Uh, number two is obviously the boy in the heron. Cause I said, number one was Spider-Man. Um, and yeah, I'm like, those are all excellent movies to have gone and seen in the theater. They're all beautiful. Like, it's really great that they're there. The only movie I'm missing that's probably in this list is the slam dunk, uh, movie. Cause I'm hearing really, really good things about that. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, we, we were talking about, is there another space jam movie that <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about? It's like, it's like Come space jam, but good. And there's no <laughs> Looney tunes. It's just all animated and they're all good basketball players. Uh, <laughs> hmm. nice. Yeah. So the slam dunk is like the sports anime, like they kind of really kicked off a lot of sports anime. Uh, and they have a movie kind of going back and trying to, to distill it into one excellent movie. Um, and so it ended up being like the fourth or fifth best grossing anime in Japan uh, when it came out this year of all time. Um, so I definitely want to go back and give that a shot at the same time. Uh, and, and like Nomona was not to theaters, but was worthy of it. I felt like um, the TV shows again, adult animation of uh, I watched Castlevania. I talked about Scott Pilgrim on here. I talked about Captain Laserhawk, which yep. I really fucking enjoyed and still think about. Uh, I have not watched Blue Eye Samurai or Scavenger's Reign, but they look and I hear really excellent things about both of them, especially Blue Eye Samurai. Mm -hmm. uh, and now most of those are on Netflix. Yep. Um, and actually, I think all of them but Scavenger's Reign are on yep. Netflix. Scavenger's Reign is on Max. Which is interesting because Max has pulled adult animation off again, even this year. They're slowly pulling it off, and then they turn around and fund something excellent. It's really weird to me. Netflix at least just seems to kind of continue to look at this like, let's just see what we can do with animation. And they're willing to do kid, you know, adult, whatever, sort of their spaghetti sticking to the wall philosophy. Uh, kind of lets some of this stuff sneak in, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that this is going to have been like a really, really good year for pushing animation beyond the crap for kids, beyond the studios that have kind of held the reins uh, undeservedly for a while. And, and I like looking at the what the nominations are going to be. I'm like, Disney's not in it at all. Like they're, they yeah. just don't deserve mm -hmm. anything this year. They'll get nominated um, for shit because they'll pay for their nominations, but yeah, they'll, they'll get in there and get nominated, but they're just really not. And it's like the Mario movie will get in because people are just like, oh, that was an animated movie. I remember, yep. but it the people that the money, yeah, the people that sit down and watch can't like really pick those over Chris um, Pratt for the other, best yeah. Italian American <laughs> Chris Pratt for the best impression of Chris Pratt. Uh, <laughs> so, and I think that the boy and Heron just got. Uh, it's nomination for its soundtrack as well, right? For the Golden Globes or whatever. Mm. Um, so that's interesting to me too, of even like, okay, the the not only are they getting into the award categories, maybe winning them, maybe categories beyond the just like for you know, it used to be they would just be in a foreign, foreign film. category. Now they're in the main category. And now they're not just in the main animated category, they're getting into some recognition and some other categories. 
Um, so I just really would like to see it pushed up. I just don't know why those things that I have just listed, most of those didn't get fucking advertisement at all. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of wild. <laughs> right? Like, Spider-Verse did, it got all the backing, and it made a butt-fucking-ton of money. Mario got a lot of backing, and it made a bunch of money, and then there were a ton of other good things that just sort of, like, came out, and there was nothing to say that they were out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's disappointing. I mean, like, The Boy and the Heron, you know, was the number one movie for one weekend, but it still only made, like, $13 million domestically that weekend. It was, like, a slow, you know, weekend in early December where nothing else came out, and it benefited from that. And I hope it continues to do well and get traction. And, you know, it definitely made some money over here and and probably made its budget back on the, you know, the dub and the U.S. release and all that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a little disappointing to see it not, take off as much as you know these other american made animated films and like what's crazy is they do a a fandango release pretty much every month of a studio ghibli movie dub and sub several days every Mm -hmm. single month and that's bringing in enough money to warrant doing that and taking time from a movie theater away from whatever came out that weekend to show those that 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 still brings in money like yeah. to, that no one is seeing that and being like, wait, why are we letting Fandango? Who the fuck are they? Why are they doing this? <laughs> like, weren't they some fucking app that nobody uses anymore? What the hell? Like, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't understand how that hasn't just like picked up that they like quit crapping out these other animated movies when like, here's this stuff of quality that's available that you could if you just fucking promote it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so my next category is the most underrated 2023 new release movie. And that is a movie I talked about on Recommend or Refute a couple months ago called Once Within a Time um, that, John, you were pretty excited about. It's a Godfrey Reggio film, uh, who's the director of Koyana Skatsi. Um, a new movie that is, is kind of similar to that, where it is uh, a silent film, as in there's no dialogue. It has an incredible Philip Glass score. It's not a documentary. It's a kind of staged film that is part animation, part live action, um, kind of talking about the fall of man and the ills of society and where we have gotten to today through technology, war, global warming, um, things like that that have have led us to kind of this moment where we are. And then rather than ending on a nihilistic note, it ends on kind of a hopeful note, uh, thinking about where we might go from here as a species. Like we've gotten ourselves stuck here in this position. How do we move forward and make ourselves better? And it's only 52 minutes long. I thought it was a really fascinating movie that is, is so incredibly well edited. And like, it's not that it's underrated in the sense that no one is talking about it or seems to realize it exists, right? It's not like people are saying this movie sucks. It's just like, I haven't heard critics talk about this. I'm not seeing it on top 10 lists. I'm, I'm not... I don't even know where, like, it's not available for streaming at this point. It had a very small theatrical release in the U.S. I'm hoping that it's going to get a streaming release in 2024. Um, You know, maybe Criterion will pick it up or it'll be like, you know, you can rent it for six bucks through whatever streaming service you want. But um, this is my number four movie of 2023. I can't wait to see it again, but I can't watch it right now, which is frustrating. But um yeah, I would highly recommend uh, people check out Once Within a Time. Whenever it's available. Yeah, whenever you can find it. Fucking pirate that shit. I don't care. Just watch it. It's great. Uh, cool. Uh, John, what do you have for us? Um, I have... So I 
last year I had like my most something something mind fucking religious film or some shit. Uh, yeah. Most mind boggling religious propaganda. Yeah, I think. probably that yeah. was. Uh, I I haven't really stumbled across a lot of other mind boggling religious propaganda this year uh, outside of you know uh, international crises and things like that. But mm. um, uh, I do have most perplexing independent film that I've watched because I've watched okay. a few, and I'm not talking like art house independent. I'm talking like. Fucking these people had money and a camera, I guess, and they're gonna try to do it. You're you're going back into Schlocktober, aren't you, John? It's not I wouldn't say that it's a Schlocktober movie. It's so weird. I don't know how to describe it. Um, but I, I watched Bloodbeat, which is a 1983 movie directed by Fabrice Zafaratos, um, who is like this guy who I believe he was born not in France. He was born somewhere in like Europe and then he moved to France and then somewhere along the way he grew up and he moved to Wisconsin and he okay. met a woman and they had, she had money and they both wanted to do something and he had never directed a movie. So he said, let's make a film. And she was just like, sure, why not? So it's like this Wisconsinite based movie, like just a bunch of like it's got a lot of Wisconsin life in it from like the 1980s. And it's all about from what I could gather, um, a woman who is in all intents and purposes, a witch and has descended some bloodline of like magic bearers. And her family is having Christmas together. And these other, they one of their, one of her sons is bringing a girlfriend who unbeknownst to her is possessed by a demon from another lineage that maybe is from Japan. I don't fucking know. There's a samurai armor suit that comes to life and starts murdering people. It's a slasher flick. Okay. Um, it becomes a slasher flick, but I watched it with a few friends who were in town, uh, over Christmas break. And we, I put it on because I had heard about it, um, from red letter media, which I've, I've, we've talked about a little bit here or there. Uh, and I, I remembered it being like, oh, you know, you can put this on with friends. This is probably a good time. That is not at all what I actually, I didn't remember accurately their recommendation. It was that this was like way more of like an art house, weird fucking indie film. And so my friends and I were getting ready to do a Jim Cotta esque, like let's watch and mock. And that is the quietest mocking I've ever heard because we were all just like, wait, what the fuck's happening? Like, what the fuck is this? What is this scene about? And like, it's just a, it was a mind boggling, mind melting experience because at times it would be like, I think I'm starting to understand what's going on. And then the movie would just take some fucking 180 and you'd be like, I don't know what the fuck this is about anymore. And even the ending, I was like, I don't like the final climactic battle has basically like the Oppenheimer score over all of the audio. So you can't like hear oh. anything. And it's just like loud and people were trying to deliver very important exposition and you can't understand it. And they've lost a lot of the film elements since then. So like parts of the movie are crystal clear and other parts like really fucking awful, like terribly damaged film that they could salvage. Um, but I want to watch it again, which is like, and not in like a schlocky haha way, just like there's so much about it that's fucking weird. And you can see somebody had an eye for something at one point in time. And they try to do something here and here and here. And like none of it works, but it's all fascinating. And they use a lot of around a lot of their environment around them. And like the director's on record saying there's a scene where they, the family goes deer hunting and the director's like, 
on commentary, which is in French and subtitled. You can't, he doesn't do English, which is even more fascinating to shoot that shit in Wisconsin and direct it that way. Huh. Um, he just said like, I understand how hunting works where you sit in a blind and you wait, but like, that's boring. I need to make it engaging. So he did like a completely unconventional hunting sequence where it's way more engaging. So it's like, oh, you knew parts of like the cinematic aspect of filmmaking, like the narrative needs to be this way. Can't just have a bunch of dudes sitting in a blind unless they're having good dialogue. Um, so it's like fascinating from an independent filmmaking standpoint to watch that and mm. to know that it came out in 83 and was shot a certain way and it had a small release and there's kind of like now a cult following around it. Um, and by the end of it, none of the friends that came to attend it we're mad that we didn't get to mock it. They were just like, I just, I'm just kind of fucking impressed by certain scenes. Like it's kind of wild, uh, the way that it went down. So it's definitely one of those, like if you have the acquired taste for bad movies, uh, movies that are, that don't have a lot of great technique in them, but you want to see a, a filmmaker who just swinging for the fences has never done it before. It's fascinating. It's a really cool experience. Hmm. Is this a French guy that moved to Wisconsin? Yeah, I think so. So is he like the world's biggest cheese lover? <laughs> he must be. <laughs> That's uh, his a, thing. He's a big cheese head. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get the European and the American experience on the best cheese you can find. Yeah, I'm surprised there's not more Jerry Lewis in this uh, movie. But, you know, <laughs> I guess there's only so many French things they can fit in. Um, but yeah, that, that was my category was, uh, you know, most perplexing independent film, I suppose. Okay, is what interesting. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything else for us? Yeah, I, last year I did the uh, best superhero movie Dixon didn't watch because um, sadly <laughs> we tricked him into watching some of the other ones that he probably ought not to have. Um, <laughs> Can't feel but, good about it yeah. now. <laughs> good. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, a very fitting end quote question mark uh, to the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Um, eh, we know your opinions on James Gunn and that style Chris of Pratt and, yeah. yeah um it's the only decent chris pratt stuff and there's some parts of wreck i guess no i mean just of chris oh. pratt in general oh. like yeah. <laughs> yeah sure um take that chris I did, pratt <laughs> yeah he knows it he knows what he is he knows what he's doing <laughs> Anyone that's I mean, making that better. Garfield movie, they I know just, what they're doing. Yeah. Imagine Ryan talking to Chris Pratt like a fan booth where he's like, I know what you've done. <laughs> you know <laughs> what you did. <laughs> he's better in those movies than he is in the Jurassic World right. movies. Yeah. Exactly. Um, when but that's yeah. not saying much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I mean, I really enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I feel like all three of those movies and the Christmas special were enjoyable. Just great character work. You can tell they're having fun. Like, Bautista's having a fucking blast um, making those movies. Um, there's care. There's good digital work, unlike most of the other Marvel movies. Um, and surprisingly, this year, there's been a lot of talk about superhero malaise, the end of the superhero franchises, whatever mostly because DC is definitely needs to be stopped um, <laughs> at all costs. <laughs> yes. It was obvious a while ago, but it, like it really needs to stop. And then all the controversy with the King dynasty stuff and the fact that they weren't even had a good plan there anyway. Uh, and now they're just completely screwed. Uh, looking compared to last year, guardians of the galaxy did excellent. And I feel like was really good. 
Spider-Verse is a superhero movie that nobody's talking about when they're talking about like, eh, no one wants to watch superhero movies anymore. People fucking want to watch Spider-Man. Like, yeah. that has not stopped with mm. pretty much every Spider-Man movie, but it's at an even higher level now uh, that I'm like, I don't know that it is. I think, again, it's like saying like, oh, animation is dying because Disney's shit. Like, there's these other things that people aren't looking at because they're looking at these big you know, big moving targets that are crap. But I'm like, man, last year, fucking Morbius and <laughs> the Eternals yeah. and, oh, Mor- you know, like there were some really bad and they really didn't do well in the theaters either. Uh, superhero movies that, that I, I don't think it's this year. That's the necessarily what the issue is. Yeah. I thought about, um, <laughs> you just said the Eternals. I remembered Barry, Barry Cogan. Uh-huh. And uh, I, the killing of a sacred space baby. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> Anyways, I had to get that out of my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Dixon, what are you going to say? Ryan, did you see The Flash? No. You did. You know it, he no, I it. have not. It looked like okay. he's a liar. I, he's a fucking liar. Uh, <laughs> okay, hold on. I got the fucking Man of Steel uh-huh. because I was doing reviews for Warner Brothers. Oh, and they sent me the Blu-ray why. and I had to watch it so that they would continue to send me stuff. This is also the reason I watched. It's also the reason I've watched the first Hobbit movie yeah. uh, because I didn't really want to see that either. And I knew I wasn't going to like it, and I hated it more than what I thought I was going to hate about it. And I've not been on board for anything except the Suicide Squad stuff, which I'm not quite sure is related or not. That is in this universe. Uh, 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 yeah, like, he's I, and I really yeah. try to he's stay away from all of them and not watch them. He's going to watch Nicholas <laughs> Cage is listed on IMDb as playing Superman in The Flash. There's two minutes of that scene. And on I have never heard of that at all in the discourse around The Flash. And I was like, do I need to watch this movie no. for my Nicholas Cage ranking? You can post? watch the two minute so, YouTube upload of somebody recording their television screen when the yeah, yeah. happen, yeah. and you'll get uh, exactly the right. gist you need. Great. You, you remember that. in Spider-Verse where they're like walking by and there's all the like criminals, you know, and Glover. the different things. Yeah. And, and Donald Glover, literally Donald Glover uh, sitting there. It's like that. Like the flash is running around and all the other universes are kind of floating around him. And there's a uh, lot of shouldn't be brought back from the dead digital versions of people. So and you did one see it. Nick Cage. No, I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that <laughs> one piece. <laughs> you heard it here, everybody. Uh, uh, follow uh, the clues. Anyway, Ryan loved the flash. Let's <laughs> recommend for Ryan. Uh, my next category is most overrated 2023 movie. And that is Skinamarink. Ah. Um, did not get it, did not care for it. This was like January of 2023. It was all the rage. Everybody on the internet was freaking out about Skin Marink. It's the scariest thing you'll ever see. And I went to see it in a theater and was just bored out of my fucking mind. Um, it's one of the few movies that I feel like would be better to watch sitting on the floor two feet in front of a tube TV oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, rather than like watching in a big theater. Yes. Like I was just so bored and not scared at all in that environment. Um, like I understand what the director was going for, but like there's no characters, there's no narrative. It's just all kind of a mood piece and a tone. And I thought it was an interesting tone for maybe a 10 to 15 minute short film, but that's a like a hundred minute movie. And I was like, well, there's just no reason for this thing to be this long. 
Um, and there were some parts that were like, okay, there's something interesting happening here. I'm not quite sure what's going on, but it was just so long and so dull. Um, I didn't understand it. And for something that became such a phenomenon and everyone online talking about it, I just don't understand what made it become such a thing that everyone had to go see and comment on. So, um, I think, I think John, you saw it. Ryan, did you yeah. also see? No, Skinner? I didn't. I didn't you see did that, not. No. Okay. John, you saw it? Yeah, I saw it. And I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it at home. And That sounds better. That's, yeah. Honestly, like I think the reason it took off is because the actual style approach is better suited for like a mobile device or watching it on a laptop. Like the yeah. way that it feels like a, and I don't mean like a paranormal activity kind of found footage thing. It's more like, it's just this like really gruff, <clears throat> very high filtered, set of just sequences and fucking weird dialogue and shit that feels like you're watching archival footage from somebody's brain. Like if they had prefaced mm. it as being like, you know, like this kid is in a coma or something and we're going to try to use a spectrometer to look at his memories, some science fiction shit mm -hmm. that would have probably set it up to be much more of like you as the audience of the detective who's trying to figure this shit out. And it's creepy because you're, not entirely sure you you understand you're in a subconscious world but the movie has no establishing for that it doesn't care about what you think and i i admire and respect it in that regard and in the other regard like i just i was really fucking confused and i think that when we talked about it last like i said i really liked it and i still do like it i would watch it again but i I understand that this is not a big screen movie. This is not no. something that I would watch with other people. It's oddly the only piece of cinema that I feel like should be watched alone and tried to talk about later. Yeah. Um, and that's so fucking weird. Uh, but I, I, I really liked it. So I totally understand where you're coming from though, Dixon, like that. It, it gives nothing like there's no structure to it in a no. way. And it's like very much like, I guess you could try to to soak up the atmosphere in it and make some sense of it, but it doesn't uh, of all the other surreal pieces I've seen and uh, like just not like disjointed structural narratives. This one seems to have the least structure around any of it. And it's still supposed to tell something. I don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah. And I mean, like it does feel like a nightmare. And it, it feels like, okay, you're five years old and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're not sure what's going on. And the TV's playing some weird public domain shit that you're not sure what's happening. And like, you know, I, I understand the vibe that they're trying to yeah. conjure. And I understand why people identify with that vibe. I don't understand why people liked a hundred minutes of that and why it got a theatrical release. Like this seems like the perfect movie for the streaming world. And it was like a big theatrical thing in january of last year like people yeah. were going to the theaters it made a decent amount of money in the theaters and i was like, i don't this is not the setting for this and you would think that in 2023 people would see that and be like oh yeah this needs to be on streaming services and like it would have been bought by hulu or something and and it would have been like an exclusively online type of thing but um yeah i don't know um didn't care for it didn't get it yeah. Yeah, I just I don't trust the public on horror movies. I have to wait yeah. until I see some some better evidence. Yeah. You know, in, in all like get your oldest TV, your oldest <laughs> smallest TV, and set it on the floor and just sit in front of it and watch it in the middle of the night when no one else is awake. Oddly enough, like I think that this is a movie that this is like one of the only movies that I feel is made for a different kind of film experience, like a different medium. And I think I've mm. talked about like 
we've talked about 3D before um, and like virtual reality. I think this movie would be perfect for virtual reality. Yeah, it could be because good for that. It, it definitely feels like a sleep paralysis dream. Like the entire thing mm. is just this fucking yeah. nightmare. Uh, and being able to be in a space like that and have an atmospheric kind of surrounding of it would would so much more em- embrace like what the fuck it is, which is that like you woke up in the middle of the night, you ate something fucking wrong and you're seeing weird shit and hearing voices like that's all Skinamarink is. But uh, I'm interested to see what the director does next if they do anything. Um, yeah, because I, I, it can't be this again. So it has to be something else and they have to be trying to toy with something. So interesting. I will yeah. not rush out to see whatever this director does next. But know. if you watch it, tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah. obviously I will. <laughs> cool. Uh, John, you have anything else for us? I do. I have uh, uh, I have three more things. OK, um, so we'll just do one of them. I'll do uh, actually I'll bundle two because they're kind of we've talked about both of them. OK. And I feel like that's appropriate. So my biggest disappointment of 2023, I did this last time, I'll do this again, is Cade the Tortured Crossing, the Neil Breen film. Uh, what a shocker <laughs> that a Neil uh, Breen film would be a disappointment. How but, how could it, though, be a disappointment? Like, don't you kind of know what you're getting yourself into? Yes and no. I mean, mm. with any delusional filmmaker, you know that you're getting into an experience in which... Uh, they're not going to use any language in film, any proper language of film to communicate something they want to. Um, but like Cade, the tortured crossing was so lazy from even Breen's perspective. Like he's usually known for, and I talked about this in the recommender refute, um, trying to get some kind of political message across about corruption and people exploiting other people. And, um, I don't know what his fucking politics are, but he seems to align core to like i want to root out corruption wherever it is but this movie was 30 minutes of that and like an hour of self-aggrandizing how fucking awesome he is and repetitive shots that were clearly meant to optimize the amount of budget he had Mm -hmm. and it's the first time in a while that i felt like even this delusional filmmaker is now so cynical about how he has to make films that he can't make something honest um which is weird because like Wizzo, you can tell caught on and is making all these different fucking movies that are trying to chase the lightning in a bottle. That was the room. Mm-hmm. He'll never understand it. But brain for so long was pure and thought that he was doing right by everybody with his art form. And I, I appreciate that earnestness. And now he's very well aware that he has a fan base and that he has a cult presence and he won't acknowledge that, but he will also say, you know, like, uh, hey, that same fan base vote for my movie to be like the number one at film festivals. And uh, there's just so much dirty ethics about that, that I am like, I can't embrace this. If you were completely blind to the truth, I would understand it. But if, but knowing that, you know, that you have a cult following and you won't acknowledge them because you think you're a big, serious filmmaker just fucking makes that movie even worse. But yeah, Cade, the tortured crossing hour and a half of wasted time, 30 minutes of somewhat fun and what I expected. And then the mm. hour after was just awful. Uh, and the biggest, uh, the next one, just to bundle it biggest, I don't know what I expected. Uh, Michael Bluth looking into a bag <laughs> that says dead dove. <laughs> <laughs> um, is you don't co- need is, that. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is cocaine bear. Um, we talked about it. It just underwhelmed so much. There was so much more that I wanted it to be. And it just wasn't, uh, and I don't know what I expected when I went into it. It was exactly what the fuck it should have been. 
um, which is trash, and I don't want to watch that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that kind of trash, I should say. Um, but yeah, so those are mine. Cool, Ryan. Uh, I tried to limit the TV talk, but I'll talk about a couple things TV wise real yeah. quick. I watch way more movies this year than usual, and that was what was entertaining. We're all going proud back of you, and Ryan. Seeing, yeah, yeah, that's right. It was interesting that I talked so much about TV in our recommend and refutes because I actually didn't watch many 2023 television shows like I usually do. Um, but I had talked about Reservation Dogs, which is excellent, um, and I, I think would be for me the top this year. Um, but I do want to kind of like quick shout out two things I watched that I really did appreciate. The first being Beef, which I felt like got a lot of talk early, but then I'm kind of seeing some of the year-end stuff. I don't always see it in there. Yeah. Um, but I did really enjoy it. I don't I don't really know what to expect of it. Um, and it, it kind of hooks you at the beginning with sort of a funny-ish concept of these two people out to get each other after they uh, almost hit each other in a, in a parking lot and kind of the road rage goes too far. And then sort of slowly transforms into really good representation of mental health uh, and mm. uh, two people who just have really not been dealing with their problems and where that goes and how their lives break down seemingly from the other person. Like they do constantly kind of put it outside of themselves, but they're then the one that pushes it again or like feeds into it or or what have you, which is an interesting like aspect of that like blaming the external for what you're continuing to propagate um and i feel like by the end like especially the last like episode really kind of hit to the point that i was like yeah this is some like really understanding like depression and really understanding like when you're so goal oriented that you get to your goals that you have no fucking clue what to do next um and like just then falling out into like i don't know what i am or who i am anymore um that that really really hit when it hit um and so i thought that that was really great the other one i want to shout out uh great absolutely great for kids um and families in general um you know maybe worth a watch if you if it sounds like you're something kind of into uh disney plus did moon girl and devil dinosaur this year um again they have all of these marvel properties they could be doing other things with and a lot of times they forget that they could possibly do that but this is one where they're like well we have a property in the comics it doesn't have to be fucking tied to any of our other tv shows or movies or whatever million things we're working on it can be its own little thing it can be inventive it can be different (laughs) yeah um but it was it it was really enjoyable like my family enjoyed watching those and getting to them i saw that my daughter's gone back and rewatched uh this season again um and it's just a fun mix of the music the way the music is the comedy touching on a few things of you know what a kid can kind of go through with relationships and expectations and school and and all that kind of stuff and then you know somehow it involves the villain as well kind of thing you know some social media discussion as well um and kind of like a bright cool fun animation um that i really liked nice cool Okay. All right. My next category is best documentary from 2023. I talked about this in a recent recommend or a few, but Ryan was not there. And I, I really want Ryan to watch this movie. It's called Lakota Nation versus United States. Um, this is my number two movie of the year and a very interesting pairing with Killers of the Flower Moon, which is my number one movie. Um, 
It's a documentary about the Lakota tribe that used to take up the majority of North and South Dakota and parts of Nebraska. And the documentary goes through the history of how the U.S. government would sign treaties with them and fuck them over and steal their land. And now they've pretty much stolen all of their land except for a very small reservation area. And um, the, the documentary is part history and part an analysis of the modern Lakota Indians and their fight to get their land back. And they're still in this fervent fight to regain the land that is rightfully theirs, that they have treaties with the U.S. government, that they own this land. Um, the Supreme Court sided in their favor a couple decades ago, um, saying that, yes, you know, we did steal your land. We owe you money. Here's a monetary reward. Um, but it was far less than the land was worth, and they rejected it and are still fighting to get their land. They never took the money, and they're they're still pushing to to get their land back. Um, also talks about, you know, this, this is a very sacred area for them, and the history of Mount Rushmore is very upsetting. Mm -hmm. You know, basically the yeah. U.S. government coming in and carving the faces of a bunch of colonists into a mountain that they held as this sacred land. Um, but... It's a really fascinating story. It's very upsetting, but also very hopeful and uplifting in a way that, you know, it feels kind of Sisyphean where these people are fighting this fight that I'm like, oh, man, like, I don't think you're going to win this. You're still trying to get that land back and you still think you can do it. And like, that's fucking awesome. And I will support you all the way. But like, it's, um, you know, the hope that the that the Lakota tribe still has is pretty crazy to see and um you know kind of in inspiring to see people fighting a fight that they believe in even if you know they're they're going against the biggest odds you could possibly ever face um so really enjoyed it um it, it's streaming now you can rent it through kind of whatever whatever service you can pay four bucks and and rent it through um but highly recommend lakota nation versus united states yeah, I mean it's, that goes up there with Kanasatake, the two hundred and seven yeah. years of resistance. Like, it's the same. The Canadian government did the exact same fucking shit. It's wild to me that that those are out there. But I'm glad those documentaries exist. Yeah. It's okay about Mount Rushmore because they now they carved a crazy horse into one of those ancient <laughs> and never finished it. <laughs> yeah. Didn't yeah. really finish it, Very so it's, it's all good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're cool right <laughs> yeah we did a half-assed version of a person you like put braids on washington aren't you happy <laughs> uh it's interesting too the the way that the lakota people view abraham lincoln like they really hate him like he's a racist piece of shit and it's like you know in american history we think of lincoln as this wonderful person who the ended slavery union. and all these things and the Lakota people talk about how the day after Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, he ordered the public hanging of 35 Lakota Indians. Um, and, you know, just the the American project has has just always been about genocide of, of the native people. And uh, it's just it's just very, uh, very upsetting. Um, the American project is still about genocide of of other people in other places. Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's a really good movie and it's like, it's dark, it's upsetting, but it is also uplifting at the same time. So, um, you know, it's not just an eat your vegetables type of movie. It's also really well made. Like a lot of message documentaries, I think kind of tend to skip on the filmmaking side of things. And mm -hmm. it's just beautiful cinematography, really well edited. Like it, it looks beautiful. So, um, definitely recommend people check it out. Yep, nice. definitely need to. Cool. John, what's your last 
category for us? My last category is um, we. I think that we've introduced for Ryan talking about it several TV shows and recommendations. And at this point, I was like, oh, you know, like maybe like doing a favorite limited series would be good for 2023 because there were a few that we've been through. One piece is limited, although it's going to get a second season. It's still something you can register on letterboxd. Um, So is Carol in the end of the world, which was something I already raved about in a recommended refute. Uh, But I wanted to talk about something that has has quickly shot up uh, because of the the break that I've had and what I've gotten to watch, um, which is blue eye samurai. Ryan mentioned it earlier. Um, I watched, uh, it's an eight episode limited series right now. Netflix has already kind of said they're going to do another follow on to it, which I'm kind of like, how does this work? Is Letterboxd going to take it down? Like, cause I think they don't do continuous series. They only do like mm. when you've completed when things. Done. Uh, Maybe yeah. they'll call the next one brown eyed samurai. Maybe they will. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Brown eyed samurai. <laughs> <laughs> um and and like this i i didn't want to watch blue eye samurai i had so little interest in trying to check out anything from netflix because uh, like aside from some of the limited series stuff i've watched um netflix just like pumps out stuff in my opinion there's a lot of things that we we didn't mention animation wise intergalactic which came out in 2023 as well the kid cuddy film 2022. I really liked Intergalactic. There you yeah. go. There was that. But, mm-hmm. Like I was fairly certain that it came out this year and I was just like, <laughs> eh, nobody remembers it. <laughs> um, either way, I don't think many people will remember it. Um, and like a lot of the other things that come out, I'm just like, it's going to be serviceable at best. And what is Netflix really going to do to impress me if they're not having like a touting a name? Um, even when they tout a name like David Fincher, I heard that you didn't really like the killer. Uh, I did not. Yeah. So, like there's, there's just those kinds of like gambles and blue eye samurai is advertised as being like, Oh, from like the, I think like the, the producer of blade runner 2049 and some other stuff. And I was just like, that's a weird thing to bank on, but okay. I guess I could kind of see it. Um, and I had like a little bit of time and an extra amount of time on my Netflix subscription. So I said, fuck it, I'll watch it. Uh, and holy shit, the, this like eight episode season one now, I guess, um, was just fucking impeccable animation, action, everything that I kind of want in something that has a character wielding a katana. It's not like a Kurosawa slow build. It's more like a kill bill Tarantino esque Hmm action piece about um a samurai who is well not even a samurai to begin with just like a a woman posing as a man in the edo area era of japan when they've shut all their borders to foreigners and they only have the whole premise is they have four white colonists who have come to japan and they were permitted to trade with the japanese shogun because of greed And one of those colonists raped the mother of the main character who is born a half breed and everybody calls them a monster. And they just walk this path of revenge to kill the man who cursed them. And it's so fucking good. Like all the action sequences have so much style put into them. There's a sequence that's very similar to the old boy hallway, but it's top down shot. And it's really fucking cool to see it shift into that. Um, And there are supporting characters and cast members who flow in and out of the narrative um, and have all of their own parts to play and are, they feel fully fleshed out and really well done. 
Um, and the voice acting is phenomenal, except for like one scene with one child actor who does not really deliver the line that well, but everything else around it, fucking impeccable, like chef's kiss. I was so enthralled with it. Sasha sat in three episodes in and she was like, we need to finish this like tonight and just binged it. Wow. Um, so that kind of says a lot about something initially that I would think she'd be like, nah, I don't really care. But she, she got really into it. Um, it's, it's not for kids. It's very adult. They go to fucking brothels. There's a lot of sex and violence and everything else in it, but, um, it has really great action, great character building. And I'm excited for season two, I guess. Now I would have been excited if it was a limited series on its own. It's just fucking great. But yeah, that's my 2023 limited series favorite blue eye samurai. Nice. Is this set in the same time as silence? Kind of. Yeah. I like think when they like, have, have cut off uh, the outside like world. 1657, something like that. Yeah. So, so was, maybe a little before, but yeah, right around that same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of like that, the references to like where foreigners can actually come into Japan and how the structure is. And like, it's at the turn of starting to open the borders. So silence probably comes after like shortly after. Nice. That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. Ryan, what's, uh, what's your next category for us? Uh, actually, I don't think I have any other categories. I think I kind of have hit uh, either I've already right. talked about in the podcast or I hit the couple I well, didn't. Well, you can just mute yourself for the yeah, rest there of you go. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Sit in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I'll go watch Quietly. Mind Game and come back. My <laughs> homework. Uh, <laughs> I am just going to rattle through some genre categories for 2023. So, By best, means, can we top it if we want to? No, you can't. Okay. Well, fine. Sure. <laughs> yes, you absolutely can. If you want to comment, clock. if you want to comment, jump in. Uh, best animated movie, The Boy and the Heron. We did a full episode on it. We all really liked it. Oh, yeah. Go check it out. Parakeets that are fascists. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, fascist parakeets. Um, best action movie, John Wick's colon, chapter four. Um, I agree with that. I know John and I really loved it. Ryan, did you ever end up seeing John Wick? I four? still haven't seen any John Wick. Uh, when you come to Austin, we'll watch it. Yeah, yeah you tricked me into watching a Fast and the Furious. So, <laughs> yeah, did you, you put that on your worst Fast Fast Ten? <laughs> no, uh, I I liked Fast X, but it was much worse than the other other Fast <laughs> movies. Um, John Wick Four, like best fight choreography I've ever oh, seen. So good. Just just fucking wild. Just a ballet of, of an action movie yep. uh best horror movie aberrance i talked about this in our south by southwest podcast uh, it was my favorite movie from south by it got a limited theatrical release in the u.s in 2023 and it's allegedly getting a digital release in 2024 so if you uh if you see it in 2024 you should check it out it's a mongolian horror film i'm uh, talking about this yeah pretty pretty cool movie uh, best foreign language film was The Quiet Girl. That is an in the Irish language, which was a uh, pretty interesting. It's a uh, like in the native like Irish language before it was colonized by the English. Um, about a a girl whose parents don't want her, and they drop her off with like some family friends, and she has to spend some time being raised by another family. It's a very touching, you know, kind of coming of age childhood story. Um, and then best comedy is poor things, which we have already discussed. So yep. those were kind of my, my genres that I wanted to touch on. Did so. You say Irish, uh, like, uh, do you mean like Gaelic or like, uh, Celtic or like, uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm kind of Irish. I don't, I don't know. Actually in the, uh, I was rewatching the trailer for it and they mentioned that it is in, it is in the Irish language, but they do not specify which one I assume Gaelic. Just, just um, Irish. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know. I assume Gaelic or yeah, I I but I'm not sure. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to learn soon when I go look it up and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then edit it over me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll have to be like uh the Joan of Arc Brisson trailer <laughs> where ah. it's just intertwined French <laughs> on both ears. Yeah. Cool. So the final category that we're going to do is our last. Uh, we're going to come back to do one more communal category that we all talked about, which is a movie that altered your perspective. So something you watched during the year that kind of changed your perspective, whether that is on cinema or on life or on um, anything. So, Ryan, what is your movie that changed your perspective in 2023? Uh, you mentioned in, is as one of the best movies that we had talked about, A Man Escaped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the way that that made me think about film, and I actually did go back and listen to a little bit to that episode because I was kind of like, okay, I remember how I feel. I want to go back and hear what I said. And at the end of that, when I was kind of giving my review there, I really talked about how I felt that that was like exactly what a movie is and and like the someone could just watch it and be like this is all you need to qualify to be a movie and like no excess fat um but be so powerful like still be so powerful and it's like what you can use with a limited tool set how amazing is something you could make um and really you know like we you we talk about you know brisson all the time it comes up a lot Mm -hmm. i had no familiarity um and watching it it impressed me it's on that like i need to go watch some more and i will get around to them um but that that was definitely a good like step forward for me in filmmaking of something that was really a lot farther off from what i watch um you know i tend to watch a lot more asian cinema i don't watch as much uh, as far as foreign films western cinema um because it tends to feel too artsy for me sometimes and that felt I think I would have looked at that and been like eh that's too artsy but I ended up enjoying it and really appreciating what it was I think because I'm just in that space now I can the same when we watched Fellini that um I'm kind of like but a long time ago a younger me would have been on both of those movies like well I don't know what happened there that was boring or weird Mm -hmm. or whatever um that now I can see those and be like okay this is it's really interesting from a movie aspect what this is and what it's doing no, awesome. Yeah, I, I loved I Man Escape. That was one of my favorite podcast episodes of the year. And uh, Brisson is just such a fascinating filmmaker. And I feel like all three of us, the first time we watched Brisson, it very much changed our perspective on like what a movie is and how it can be made and, and what a director can accomplish. And, you know, maybe what you think a movie is supposed to be isn't what it has to be. And um, I've been getting my, my friend Eric, who was a guest on Killers of the Flyerman episode, I've been getting him into Brisson recently. And like uh, the other day he texts me, he's like, dude, I just watched Pickpocket. That was like so good. I like how that was like a magic trick. How does that even work? Like, I don't even know why it was so powerful, but it just is. And it's just this magic piece of cinema. And, and like Brisson is like, you know, it, it's hard to understand why his movies affect you the way they do, but they're just so fascinating and, and powerful. And, um, you know, it's like him by him doing everything that you're not expecting a director to do. He just kind of catches you off guard and makes you think about what you're seeing in a different way. All right, John, what is the movie that altered your perspective in 2023? So I have two movies that kind of tied. One is it altered my perspective, I guess, cinematically. And the other is in real life, it altered my perspective. Okay. Cinematically, 
High Plains Drifter. Oh, hell yeah. Mm. Um, Interesting. Which, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where like, you know, uh, what they fucking say it in Oppenheimer all the time. Like it's theory until you apply it. And like reading about the switch between classic Western hero and antihero um, is just something evident in like post-Western cinema. But watching High Plains Drifter and how much I hated Clint Eastwood and how much I also hated everyone else, else. (laughs) (laughs) it blew my mind how you could make a movie that completely it didn't shift your focus of hate, but it amplified and then spread it to the rest of the film. Um, and I, it, it just was like a wild time narratively for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and I, I can't not think about high plains drifter now when I think about it's, it's my bridge between classic and postmodern Westerns now. Like that, I mm-hmm. can't see anything else. I know Italian filmmaking is at like a peak at that point, And there's this whole, aspect of you know good bad and ugly and sergio leone but this is like in the american court i suppose of cinema here's how we ease the audience into absolutely understanding that the hero is not the hero Ah. and doesn't need to be (laughs) um and can be a total instrument for punishment so high plains drifter really fucked my shit up and uh that was you know from a, a cinematics perspective changed a lot for me that's <laughs> it, awesome it's rad to see it yeah that movie is so fucking wild and it's like eastwood you know working with leone and getting that anti-hero vibe and then like he finally gets to direct his own movies and he's just like i'm gonna do this way darker than you ever thought yeah <laughs> and yeah. like taking that anti-hero thing and being like you know no the, like you know the man with no name was a guy that you could root for but wasn't pure when it didn't have a heart of gold he had some bad incentives he was out for the money but he kind of was a good guy and you know high plains drifter is like he's evil as fuck but so is everyone else and so you kind of go back and forth between who you're rooting for during the film as you learn <laughs> yeah. more about each of these sides of, of this battle and by the end you're like full-on rooting for clint eastwood and he's just like the embodiment <laughs> of evil but everyone else is so corrupted bad that you're just like fucking kill them all i don't yeah, care yeah i don't yeah. give a shit whatever your fucking plan is <laughs> <laughs> Make uh, them have a picnic outside. <laughs> and that movie is so, it's so beautiful. Like that might be my favorite 4K disc I have ever watched just from the visual perspective because like that thing is impeccable. Like it's all shot, yeah, like, not all, there are some night scenes, but yeah, it's all shot on location. A lot of it is during the day, really bright sun, bright colors, like the the red that they bring into that movie later in the film. It just Man. pops off yeah. the screen and I don't. I guess Warner just kept that film locked away in a dark room for decades because it <laughs> looks so fucking good on that 4K yeah. transfer. Um, yeah. Like I can't think of any movie that I've ever seen on a 4K disc that looks that good. Yeah, and I mean that's I. You know, the, the visuals didn't have to be the the main impact for me, but they were nice to have while I was experiencing this fucking weird journey of rooting for different people in it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the other, the other film that I had that, uh, impacted me in the real world is Kanasatake, like 270 years of resistance, just watching more documentaries, uh, more movies this year. I've watched more films and media that has indigenous people in it and their life experiences. And like, that is my new thing that I like need more of. I just need to watch more of these features. I need more of it to be yeah. made by these filmmakers, these actors, 
Um, and Kanazatake being something that came out in the nineties, I think I mentioned when I, I talked about it, that, uh, it just shocked me that there were still people in Canada using the word savage, which was like a whole thing of like, you know, I'm not a post-racial person. I don't believe that we're past that shit, but I thought that we were at least past calling other people savages and that kind of fucking shit. And it's weird to see something so close to when I was born with so many people spitting that kind of vitriol. Um, and yeah. it really just that kills the flower moon, like, uh, reservation dogs, they all just paint this picture. I never knew that I needed to see. Um, and I'm so happy and thankful for them as sad as they are. Like I just, it, I feel like I am learning and they are teaching me so much more about who I need to be as a human being that, uh, it's hard not to say that changed my perspective on things. Uh, that's cool the movie that i thought you were gonna say which is very similar in tone <laughs> is first we bombed new mexico that as well that is also one <laughs> yeah that which, I was like, which we both watched in a theater and walked out and we're like I yeah go. i think we both need to just go home <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know about the nuclear fallout from the a-bomb testing that just like poisoned generations yeah. of new mexicans and mostly of hispanic descent and and the government doesn't care about them you know and, there is yeah, yeah if you can out there like do a google search and find it and spread the word because that short film had or not short film that documentary had moments in it too not just gripping moments but like calls to action towards the end too about how there's mm -hmm. 2024 legislation in the u.s that's being pushed like even if you're not in the u.s you gotta have friends that are probably here if you're listening to this i would hope um, just like encourage them to check it out and take action. Uh, cause those, those folks in New Mexico have just been fucking suffering and the government has actively had to just be like, we, we don't want to acknowledge that this happened, but we're like, how do we make this go away? And 2024 is the next year that there's something up for, for a vote and yeah. advocacy, but God damn. Yeah. I was going to mention that at some point. I just wasn't sure when the right time to bring it up is. And I'm glad you brought it up because it was going to kind of be like, that was like in the running with my Kanasatake. Yeah. Okay. It was also in the ring for me to talk about changed perspective. It's not the movie that changed my perspective. Quick tangent before I get into that. Uh, I think along those lines, like, like a movie I think that is incredibly relevant for people to watch today. I'll be very quick on this. But my la the last two years when I've done the changed perspective movie, it's been an Israel-Palestine documentary. It's not the case this year, but um, I think that, you know, along those lines, John, you're talking about wanting to watch movies about indigenous people and, uh, you know, how like learning more about indigenous populations and, and how they've been treated. There's a 2018 movie that or maybe it's 2019, I think it's 2019 that I really liked called Gaza Fights for Freedom. That is a documentary about the people of Gaza peacefully protesting and like walking up toward the wall. Uh, that Israel has and like with signs and chanting and the Israeli soldiers on the wall just shooting them dead. And it's just very upsetting. And it's like shot in Gaza, like before it was kind of mm -hmm. locked down to the degree that it is now. And I think it's a very important film for today and, and you know, kind of the current situation. And, um, you know, in in that theme of movies about indigenous people that, um, you know, and kind of following their, their plight and turning the historical perspective from the colonizers to the colonized and, and looking at things from, from what they experience. Yeah. I want to say too, on that topic, um, we watched the Congress this year, which yes. was directed by, uh, Ari Fulman, who is a former, he's a veteran of the Israeli army. And he had directed, uh, I believe it's an Academy Award winning animated feature, um, Waltz with Bashir. That is 
his documentary reflections on a genocide he participated in. Oh, wow. And um, it's animated in like a rotoscoped way, has a very minimalistic kind of painterly style to it. But it is all about him and some other comrades that he fought, he like fought within this war, um, trying to remember what they did and what they participated in um, with regard to like a, a Lebanese war in 1982. Mm-hmm. And it ended yep. with real documentary footage of the fucking massacre and the fallout after. And it is one of those things where it just, it makes you the first 30 minutes of it are kind of like this ease into and gentle like mystery. And then the, the rest of it is just shock and terror and horror and like acknowledging war crimes and things that have been participated in mm. and it's fucking just it'll just level you i remember we watched the congress and i was like i gotta watch this movie and that just <laughs> was, i was i didn't read the synopsis or anything was there and any I was weird like, trippy animation no no <laughs> i wouldn't say it was weird or trippy oh there was animation it was, it was devastating <laughs> there was a lot of animation and oh, it all okay. ended interesting with uh with real life footage so wow um i i recommend that one as well well with Bashir. Um, but yeah, uh, th- a lot of those movies exist. A lot of those documentaries exist. And uh, for some reason, they're not really promoted to the top of the stack. Um, probably because. Yeah. Um, as, as you yeah. know, colonizing countries, we prefer to not yeah. push those movies to the top. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but, uh, and I do think actually like knowing, tr- you know, trying to argue with certain viewpoints, it can be- make someone even more resistant. Uh, right. and, and even more steadfast in their belief. But I found that documentaries uh, can actually challenge in a way without feeling that antagonistic to the viewer Yeah, that helps them be more accepting of the newer perspective and have that kind of like, oh, I, d- I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, versus kind of like the arguments you may have here <laughs> have had over your holidays uh, in, in with your family and friends that the documentaries mm-hmm. I think are a really great way for uh, for people to just really have their be challenged. Yeah. Be a fly on the wall in certain conversations or experience somebody's life a certain way. That is, that doesn't feel like, Oh, it's crafted completely because documentaries have that sort of, um, that spark that like, uh, impromptuness to them. Mm -hmm. It's only what you can capture and how you can edit it together. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. My movie that changed my perspective in 2023 was The Iron Claw. Um, so oh, I've been waiting to oh. t- talk about this one. And Ryan, I'm very surprised that you have not seen it yet. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I saw this movie on Christmas Day with my mom at the theater. Um, like one of the biggest Christmas downers you could possibly imagine. Um <laughs> I, I was talking to my mom. I was like, yeah, do you want to go see a movie on Christmas? And she's like, yeah, okay. And I was reading her what's out. And like really the only thing that she kind of responded to was the Iron Claw because they're a family from Dallas. That was insane. And my Dallas mom is born and raised there. And she's like, oh, yeah. I know people that knew that knew the Von Erics. And like, yeah, like, let's go see that. I was like, you know, this is not going to be a happy story, right? And she was like, yeah, yeah, but like, let's go see it. So, um, you know, we went to go see it on Christmas Day. And, you know, I knew it was going to be tragic, but I didn't. I didn't know the full Von Eric story. And uh, supposedly it's actually even sadder than the movie. And there's like another brother that they couldn't even fit into the story because the movie was just too sad and too full of crazy shit happening that it didn't feel realistic to have 
that many tragedies occur, um, <laughs> which is fucking crazy to me. Um, but you know, like I, I, you know, have had some uh, tragedy in my family. Uh, you know, uh, somewhat recently, and you know, like in 2022, my my dad passed away, and I, I've had trouble dealing with that and grappling with it, recovering from it. And I have had, you know, implications in my personal and professional life from like not being able to kind of recover from that in a way that, you know, would have been most ideal. Um, but watching this movie was kind of a fascinating experience. I, I thought it was so well done. And, you know, it, it's such a tragic story, but it has a, you know, triumphant is too strong of a word, but it has a kind of happy ending to it where Kevin, I believe, is the mm-hmm. the Von Erich that is played by um, uh, Zac Efron. And, and, you know, he, you know, it's a very tragic story, but at the end of the movie, you know, he's had all these horrible things happen to him and his family, but he's still able to build the life for himself that he always wanted. And I thought that was very inspiring to see, like, you know, he he was a guy that wanted to, he just wanted to spend time with his family. That's all he wanted to do. And he's like, I just want to be with my brothers and do stuff and, you know, go see the movie. Tragedy happens. His brothers have terrible things that, that occur to them. But like at, at the end of the movie, you know, it's kind of a in credits. Hey, Kevin Von Erich went on to do these things. And, you know, but like he basically gets to have the big family that he always wanted and to, live on a big ranch with a, like his kids and their kids and, and multi-generations of Von Erichs all being together and, and kind of having the family life that he could never have because his dad was such a, an asshole and so terrible to him and all his brothers. And, and you know, his brothers had tragic things occur be, because of that and that environment. But, you know, at the end of the day, he got to build the life that he wanted for himself and to... Uh, build the type of family that he wanted, even though, you know, he got to kind of break the cycle of violence and, and shittiness and build a family on the values that he wanted and have the life that, that he always uh, wished he could have. And I, I thought that was very inspiring. I don't, you know, I don't know how true the movie is to to life and, and how much the, you know, the movie kind of wraps things in a nice bow and a, a happy ending at the very end that, you know, I could see them just being like, well, we can't leave people this devastated and we have to kind of make this a little happier. Um, But the way the movie portrays the situation, I was like, man, like I, you know, if, if he can do that and, and come out of the terrible experiences and tragedy that he had and achieve the life that he always wanted and be able to establish something like that for himself and, and have a successful life, then like, I should be able to push past my trauma and tragedy that is like nothing in comparison to what he has, has gone through and to, you know, be able to, um, you know, this shouldn't be something that dominates and, and determines the rest of my life. Like it should be a speed bump along the way that I should be able to recover from and get where I want to go. So, um, you know, it's a very tragic movie. It's very sad, but I came away from it with, um, you know, with encouragement, which um, I, th- I thought was was kind of odd, and I don't know if that's what the movie was trying to do, but that's kind of what I, I took from it. So interesting. Yeah. I yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it either, and I really want to. Um, so maybe that's something that I do this week because I think it's only in theaters for a little bit longer. Got to take my chance. Um, yep. But yeah, I knew the Von Erichs. I mean, wrestling is just full of tragedy, 
just people yeah. who are so passionate about what they do that um, they'll sacrifice their body and their mind to to get it done. That when I saw the Iron Claw was coming out, I was like, oh, it's coming out when? Wow. That's a pretty <laughs> fucking bold call. Uh, amazing. <laughs> so I am, I am eager to see it, though. Uh, as sad as it's going to be, <laughs> I have to ready myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very eager to see it as well. Um, and yeah, Kev- Kevin is in Hawaii now and still barefoot, uh, at least what I've seen in interviews. <laughs> um, he, the last thing that I saw with him is, as an interview, and I don't know if he's done anything and yeah, I'm sure people are probably trying to get him now after the movie release. Yeah. Um, but he was on the dark side of the ring. Um, when they did episodes on the Von Erics, uh, to follow up with him and, and yeah, hearing his perspective from his own voice now, I, I definitely recommend going and and checking that out. Maybe just that part, since you kind of got in the story, don't drag yourself through it again. Um, but, uh, the, the dark side of the ring is an, is an excellent portrayal of all mostly bad. I would say good and bad, but it really does focus on the bad parts of wrestling those is this a documentary series yeah, yeah it's a documentary series that was on vice um yep. it's pretty much just all downers i don't think any of those episodes end where you're like oh yeah. <laughs> i feel better um unless it's a, like the couple of people that came out of alcoholism um otherwise it's it's usually just not good um mm-hmm. but kevin on von eric is on there and actually talks about it like they go interview him and it it is interesting to see how different of a perspective he has thinking of someone who has gone through all that of, of like where he is and where he, how he looks back on his life and what he has done with it and how he's moved forward, um, is, is really something else. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well that kind of brings us to a close here. I guess, is there anything that you guys are looking forward to in 2024 that you are excited about and want to give a shout out to? Um, I can't think of anything right now. It's, I mean, Dune 2 is coming out. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, okay, I want to see how that concludes really is where I'm kind of at with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's anything else that like I am majorly looking forward to. Um, a lot of the stuff that I wanted to see came out in 2023 or just like uh, it's stuff I got to catch up on. Um, yeah. Ryan, did you have anything? With yeah, with the strikes now being ended, it seems like there's a good chance that things will kind of be back on track next year. Um, the next Spider-Verse is supposed to come out, question mark. Um, I thought it got delayed. It it got delayed, but they haven't said to where yet. So oh, there's okay. that chance. So, you know, maybe it's within a year from now. Uh, yeah, that would be nice. Um, yeah, D- Dune 2, I was really impressed with the Dune um, Part 1. It'll be interesting to see how people feel about part two that kind of went into it completely bind and were just like, that was awesome. <laughs> like the, the sort of the bros poster, <clears throat> dorm room poster bros of Dune have to feel <laughs> yeah. about part two um, and any other continuing Dune stuff that they do. Uh, I am looking forward to Furiosa. I, I don't think yeah. it was what I thought was going to be the follow up to Fury Road, um, but I like Anna T- Taylor Joy. Um, George Miller kind of has done no wrong as far as Mad Max is concerned. Uh, and Fury Road is like the fucking best action movie I watched in a long time. Like oh, yeah. just mm-hmm. amazing. Um, so that's definitely another I look forward to. 
I uh, I heard that. Um, well, I saw I see that like the Joker sequel is supposed to come out. This yeah, I don't know about that. musical, yeah, the musical, yeah. But I also heard that um, the People's Joker got picked up for distribution, which had a whole controversy. It was like an indie film that got like taken down from festivals because oh. of a dispute, and some distribution label has picked it up. Uh, and I what don't know what dispute? it's about. I don't. No, entirely. I just know that it falls under, I think, more of like the queer cinema, oh, okay. which I'm kind of interested to see what the people's, people's Joker is about. I think that it was, I don't even remember the full lore of it. I just know there was controversy around it. Um, hmm. But yeah, everything else that's coming out is like, did you know there's a Gladiator 2? Yeah, I was going to ask about the ones we're not uh, anticipating. Is that? Yes. Ridley Scott's Gladiator 2? Is two? Russell Crowe back? Oh my God. Didn't he die <laughs> in the first one? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I've, I've back, actually everybody yeah <laughs> i've really wanted to go the back life <laughs> i've wanted to go back and re-watch gladiator it's been a long time and i know it was hyped and it's still talked about a lot and i remember kind of mm. liking it when i watched it but over the over the time i've kind of looked back and been like i don't know if that was good so we I've keep throwing around the it. idea of doing it like movies that you liked as a teenager and you think probably yeah. suck now oh I have, I have one of those and yeah gladiator braveheart those type of things would be interesting to I, go back to i definitely have one that i think that is it you the punisher would, 2004? it's not the punisher 2004. <laughs> we did go back to that it is not, we already have gone back there we don't need to go back again we all know how i feel about it <laughs> um but yeah i saw there's also like a kingdom of the planet of the apes which i was just like yes yeah why are you making a fourth I, I one know. the 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 planet of the apes reboot trilogy was fine just leave it alone god damn it <laughs> yeah annoying. i don't know i didn't like the first reboot and i didn't watch either of the sequels and oh you didn't I, like I, the james franco reboot no one? everything uh-huh. after that Honestly, a lot better than the James. It gets Franco even one better. Was. Yeah, yeah. I, I kept hearing it was good, and I was like, I don't know. I don't need to watch Andy Circus run around and scratch his armpits and yell shit. Like, I don't. I don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so for me, looking forward to twenty twenty four. I have like there are some twenty twenty three indie movies that are like got limited releases in 2023 and never made it to Austin and they're getting to Austin in 2024. So before I write my like year end blog post, I really want to see the zone of interest, uh, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me. It's a Jonathan Glazer movie. He did under the skin. If you have uh, seen that sci-fi movie with Scarlett Johansson as an, an alien in Scotland preying on random dudes, it's a really fascinating sci-fi movie. Um, the zone of interest is about, a German family who lives next door to Auschwitz uh, and just like ignores what's going on around them. And they just kind of like live in Nazi Germany and and go about their daily lives right next to this horrible concentration camp. And uh, it's getting really great critical reviews and I'm fascinated to watch it, but it is not in Austin yet. So I, I'm hoping to see that soon. I think it comes out in a week or two here. Um, and then also a movie that like I'm kind of like I really want to see it from the trailer, but it's getting a worldwide wide release on like January 11th. Therefore, it must be bad. Is the Book of Clarence? Yeah, I see the see trailer that for that. Yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> it looks great. Like it's like Keith Sandfield playing yeah. like a uh, you know televangelist, but in the age of Jesus, being like, <laughs> oh, that guy, he's like getting like you know getting massive followings and getting people to give him money. I want to do that, and that looks hilarious to me. But it's coming out in early January, and therefore 
like it's probably not good but like it's the keith stanfield and it's sacrilegious so i'm fucking there it sounds great yeah i'm gonna see it but yeah that was the trailer that that old man stood up during poor things and said my son has abandoned me (laughs) oh was he was he talking about jesus (laughs) yeah he might have been yeah uh yeah i want to see that too definitely yeah no that looks looks it's by the uh james samuel who did uh the Harder They Fall, I think it was called. That was a Western. Uh, that may not be the correct title of the movie. Uh, I might have to edit over this. But um, he made like an all-black Western from a year or two ago that was like not great, but it had a lot of interesting stylistic aspects to it. No, you're I, right. It like, is The Harder They Fall. The Harder fall. They Fall. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, he's got... That director has some talent. Like, it didn't all come together in that movie, but um, I'm interested to see The the Book of Clarence. Mm. Nice. There are... Uh, cool several right. other long like sequels many many years after that don't need to be done that are coming out next year again i just really wish that would stop because i don't know that there has been one that has been good or has really been accepted well are you still like, talking about gladiator 2 well <laughs> gladiator 2 but there's also uh twisters Oh yeah, Twisters is happening. No, and I never saw the first one. It's not good. Yeah, yeah, it's, so not, yeah it's not. Yeah, uh, Beetlejuice two, like oh, yeah. oh no, yeah, okay. Willem Dafoe is that. in Beetlejuice two. Yeah. Oh now I have to see it. Hmm. They're doing another live action Lion King. No, because that was the good what? one. No, uh, they're doing a prequel. No. Uh, yeah, oh. so there's some really questionable things, and you know, and and John, I will probably watch these. There are three not Spider Man Spider Man movies. Because uh, Venom Three oh, that's is right. coming You're, out, uh, Web and Widow Madam Web is coming Madam out. Web. Yeah, Madam Web, <laughs> and then Craven. Craven, I think, is supposed to be before the Sony's end of the year. bullshit. Uh, so, Brian has yeah. to take three flights next year. Yes, to, it. watch, to watch this shit. <laughs> so yeah, for the superhero, like we're tired of it. The fact that Sony is putting out three in Fran- like Spider Man movies that don't have anything to do with Spider Man that. Honestly, their previous ones didn't really do that well. I think like Venom was like okay. It almost seems like they're spiting Disney. And I and I'm yeah, kind I of think for they it, think it's better. But also against it. <laughs> hmm. It's fun to watch those. Uh yeah, I'm not gonna watch any of those. Not those, but it's fun <laughs> to watch it happen. <laughs> it was just we'll we'll you you wait. Everyone will start being like, Oh, Madam Webb, it's so great. It's this other thing. And I'm you'll sit there and be like, I'm not falling for it. I'm not falling for it. And then you'll hear somebody you like tweet about how great it actually was. And then you watch it and be like, fucking nobody knows what he's talking about. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, yeah. Well, cool. Uh, well, thank you guys for joining us for our 2023 year end retro spectacular. I have been your host, Michael Dixon. It is 2024 and I am old, uh, with me as always. Ryan King. Uh, I hope everybody had a great Christmas and got what you wanted. And if not, this is our gift to you. And if you want to give a gift to us, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Yes, please do that. And if you do, we'll talk about your movie. Uh, If you recommend it, and there will be a certain period of time, of course, of which we will review and assess if we want to. uh, No, we'll just fucking do it. Just say whatever (laughs) you want us to talk about. We'll do it. We'll read anything you put on the teleprompter. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> don't, don't, we're not so desperate, guys, okay? We can do this, all right? We just act cool about it. <clears throat> and my other co-host? Uh, <laughs> John Garcia, everybody. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, if you joined us for the past year, then you know what a fucking wild ride it's been. Um, the retrospective is always a fun time to, to reflect and talk about the movies we love, hate, 
and uh, can grow to love maybe if we just watch them a few more times. Who knows? Um, let us know as well as leaving a review what your 2023 bests are. Uh, if you happen to join our Discord or you found our Twitter and or Facebook, message us and like let us know. We're genuinely curious to see who else has the list out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we love talking about movies. That's why we do this. So, you know, send us a note about your favorite and worst favorite 2023 movie experiences, and we will respond and talk to you about it, whether you want us to or not. Yeah. Hell. <laughs> yeah. Tell us why we're wrong. I dare you. <laughs> I'm sure we're all, uh, we're, we all have different opinions that can definitely lend to that really well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, as always, thanks for putting up with our bullshit. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.